Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So what the Dodgers have gotten, quite simply, is probably one of the 10 best pitchers in the world. And it cost them $325 million to do it. But that is 325 in an offseason where they've already spent $700 million on Shohei Otani and another $136 million on Tyler Glasnow. This is the Dodgers, Scott, assembling the Avengers and putting together the super team they hope to end all super teams in Los Angeles. That voice you just heard was Jeff Passan last night on ESPN after the news broke that Yamamoto is signing a 12-year, $325 million contract with the L.A. Dodgers. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. We've got Grant Francis back in the studio for us today out in Cree of Core. Tanner Hendrickson with some well-deserved time off this morning. Alex, my immediate reaction last night when I saw that Yamamoto was going to be signing with the Dodgers was, of course. <laughs> of course he's signing with the Dodgers. That's the way this works, right? I love that Passon called him the Avengers. It's maybe, perfect. Maybe the evil Avengers right now because nobody's going to like the Dodgers, but still the Avengers. I mean, this is who they are. This is what they do. Now, previous iterations of the Dodgers have not done a whole lot of this. Yeah, they traded for Mookie Betts. That was a salary dump, man. <laughs> that was no different than the Cardinals trading for Nolan Arenado. Yeah, and plus the Dodgers were told, like, what? You just want Alex Verdugo from us? Oh, okay, cool. So hold on. If we take on the David Price contract, we just basically give you nothing. Yeah, cool. cool. Let's yeah. let's do that. We'll, we'll take on that. I'll take the generational player, please. They go out and they get Freddie Freeman, which, again, is the equivalent of the Cardinals going out and getting Paul Goldschmidt. So their previous big-time free agency or trade moves, they're not all that dissimilar from what the Cardinals have done in previous years. This is different. They have handed out in total contract value a billion dollars to two players, Alex. One billion billion dollars a billion dollars in one off season and i gotta say as much as people may be surprised to hear it i think josh Innes had it exactly correct earlier today what i think josh Innes had the exact correct take if you're mad at the cardinals like me for not going out and acquiring um bryce harper when he was available i get it i'm with you i think they should have done it if you, like me, think the Cardinals should be more aggressive via the trade market at the deadline or via the free agency market in the offseason when generational talents are available and they get squeamish to go more than five years on contracts, I'm with you. 
I think it is a bit unfair, though, to have asked them to go to this degree for this specific player. Alex, because of the posting fee, because of the $50 million signing bonus that Yamamoto was able to secure, the Dodgers will be spending more than $100 million in cash this year in the fiscal year 2024 to acquire Yamamoto. Man, listen, I'm willing to be critical of the Cardinals, and we will talk a lot over the next few months about what the Cardinals need to do in order to be able to keep up with the Joneses in this version of the National League. But Yamamoto just ain't it, man. This was not the one to crush the Cardinals for not acquiring. I think they were actually correct in not extending themselves for this specific player on this specific contract. So I fell on the opposite side of this one. Now, let me let me preface this by I'm not going to crush the Cardinals because that is a lot of money to spend. And look, we don't, we're not the DeWitts. We can't decide to spend that type of money. But where I, where I did initially see the reaction and the 12 years and we're talking 325 and of course the posting fee and everything that comes into it for for a team that has been searching for an ace and look Yamamoto could not be the guy Yamamoto at best could be a number three but a 25 year old pitcher to where yes posting fee you're going to be spending that this season but beyond that it's 27 million dollars per year and for a guy who's 25 years old that if this hits correctly you're going to be talking about having a legit ace at the top of your rotation never have to worry about that for at least the next five to eight years now back end who knows what that looks like but the back end of that we're talking he's 35 36 37 years old cardinals give out 12 13 million dollar contracts to those type of pitchers all the time I understand why they didn't do it, and I understand if people think I'm crazy by saying that the Cardinals should have done it. I just, when I saw the number and thought, man, you know what? If you're ever going to get to a point where you do something that you don't naturally do, it's for a 25-year-old pitcher that everybody is saying might be the next best thing in Major League Baseball. Sure, and if it was a normal contract, if it was not a $50 million signing bonus and a $50 million posting fee and whatever he's making in salary this year, we don't know what that is, but I would assume it's you know more than $10 million. $1 million a year for the next 10 years. Yeah, but let's say there's no deferrals, by the way, in this contract, apparently. Let's say that he got the Sonny Gray thing where it's going to be it's going to exponentially go up year by year. And so it's a backloaded deal. They want the future value to be worth more than the current value. Cool. Okay. Let's say he's making 10 million bucks next year, which would be basically nothing given how big this contract is. So 10 million there, $50 million signing bonus, $50 million uh, posting fee. That's $110 million. We think the Cardinals have maybe if they're like really pushing it this year to try to win 20 million to spend. All right. Go through the Cardinals payroll right now. Go ahead and remove $90 million from the payroll. Easy. Arenado and Goldschmidt. Okay. We got Arenado and Goldschmidt. There's 60. Now find $30 million more to cut from the current spending. So let's Adam say Wayne they... Adam deferred money. We'll just forget about that. Let's say they didn't sign either of Lynn or Gibson this offseason. So you no longer have Lynn. You no longer have Gibson. That's fine. I'm, I'm here for that, honestly. If they wanted to go out and spend that money elsewhere... You don't have uh, Nolan Arenado. You don't have Paul Goldschmidt. Now you can go sign Yamamoto. Would you prefer that version of the Cardinals or this version of the Cardinals that we currently have? And again, that is them really pushing it. I understand if you are somebody that thinks that the Cardinals need to push harder. I am with you, man. This rotation is not good enough. 
when you compare it to the best rotations in the National League. It doesn't stack up right now. I saw yesterday somebody post what the rotation is going to be for the Dodgers, and hot damn, last year their rotation stunk on paper. This year it looks like it has the potential to be the best in the sport. The Phillies have a top two in their rotation that dwarfs anything you can put out there. The Braves, at least at the front end of their rotation, freaking fantastic. You don't stack up compared to those teams, and therefore you need to go make a move to be able to try to give yourself the best chance to go up against the behemoths that exist in this National League. But Yamamoto wasn't a fair requ- a fair requirement for them. This was not a pass-fail with Yamamoto this offseason. I think he's going to be really good. I think there's a pretty darn good chance that he's going to be a top-10 pitcher, conservatively speaking, in all of Major League Baseball this year. And also, I'm absolutely unwilling, given what the Cardinals' constraints are financially, to spend $110 million on that player in the year 2024. Because we got to be honest about what that means for the roster. That means tearing it down to the studs and probably going into a rebuild for 2024 so that way then you could build around Yamamoto for 2025 and beyond, and I'm unwilling to do that. So correct me, though, because I might just completely not understand this. The posting fee and the signing bonus, does that go... paid now. But that goes, does that in the AAV conversation, or is that... It's part of the AAV, but that doesn't matter for the Cardinals. The Cardinals care about cash spending. If you have a budget, Alex, you and your family, I know we talk about this all the time. You guys have a budget, right? And there's probably a point in time where you're setting money aside, right? You're setting money towards your savings account. That money is pulled out of your account no matter what. It's not to be spent today, but it is going towards something. Maybe that is a child's uh, college fund. Maybe that's a legit savings account. Maybe that is investments. Whatever it ends up being, that is money you do not have to spend today. You cannot spend it. You can't double count that money on, hey, I'm going to put this towards my Robin Hood account, and also I'm going to put it towards uh, your your daycare for this month, right? You can't double count it. That's what the Cardinals are talking about with the deferred money that they used for Adam Wainwright last year, or if they used a signing bonus here that is helping towards the luxury taxes or posting fee that goes towards the life of the contract. Like, it is spent today. And therefore, you can't use it for other things. Yeah, and I under, and now that makes a lot more sense because I thought that was the side money that you pay, and then of course you're taking your salaries into consideration. But if you're doing the way that the Cardinals are doing, again though, this just feels like one of those players that, without having to tear down the roster, maybe you put more money out there. And again, I'm not the Dewitts. I can't be like, you know what? I'll find an extra hundred million dollars for you, Mo. And- <laughs> Go take care of this one right now. Yeah, I'll do this all I want. You know, I'll sift through my couches for some change right now. But, man, it's just when a 25-year-old pitcher is available to you, and we talk all the time about how difficult it is to to find these pitchers and how the Cardinals can't develop these pitchers. It it felt like at the beginning of all of this that you had the in with Newt Bar, and then when you saw the money, yeah, it was a lot. But I looked at it and I said, boy. It just felt like one of those things that if you're in a Cardinals position, you're like, man, this might be the moment where we say, I know we don't typically do this. I know we stick to our budget, but do we go over our budget at least this time? Let's use a pivot. like Because I am I think this is the offseason where you do what you're talking about. This just wasn't the player. Yeah. The guy that you go get aggressive for is somebody on the trade market right now. Whether you like Framber Valdez or you like going out there and getting Dylan Cease or Logan Gilbert or Jesus Luzardo, I don't even care the name, frankly. They're all good pitchers. They all help you. They all make you better. It is absolutely time for the Cardinals to get aggressive in that way. 
This just wasn't the pitcher to do it for because the currency that the Cardinals have to spend right now is not $100 million in cash. It's not that capital. It's prospects currency, man. It's going out there and spending from their current surplus of position players and saying, hey, we got 10 everyday position players. We only need eight of them. Let's use one or two of those guys that are currently on our roster and go get the pitcher that can lead our rotation that gives us a fighting chance in either a playoff series or in the early series against the Dodgers next year where we can legitimately go up one for one against their starting rotation. And we don't feel like we have no chance in that game because right now, if you look at the way that you match up against the Dodgers, you got a chance whenever you put Sonny Gray on the mound. The other two, three games, I don't know that you do. Yeah. And that's where I, I, to stepping aside from the Yamamoto thing, that's exactly where I'm at right now. Like, I see what the Dodgers have done. You look around Major League Baseball and you see a ton of other teams and you sit there and you say, how are the Cardinals are going to match this? How are they going to respond to this? Go spend that type of assets because you've spent a lot of time developing all these younger players, bragging about how many how much talent you have on this roster offensively. You can't sit there and say, well, we're going to just sit as is and see what happens. Now's the time to see a Yamamoto go. You got your guy with Sonny Gray. You go out there and you say, let's add to this and keep pace with these teams as much as we can. By the way, the Dodgers yesterday, Greg Amsinger mentioned this earlier today on the morning show. Did they officially become the new evil empire? The way that we used to look at the Yankees when they'd go out there and they get a rod, they get to share like all the, if there was a big name free agent, you just automatically assume that offseason. I mean, the same thing was true with Garrett Cole, for example, you just assume, oh, they're going to be wearing pinstripes, yep. Johnny Damon. Is that now the Dodgers? Do yep. we just change that from being what used to be in New York and now it is over in LA? Yeah. And I think it's going to be a longer time like the Yankees because I feel like the Phillies were there for a little window where sure. three straight years it was, oh, well, they're going to be a Philly. Last le- night, night when we found out the mystery team, <laughs> it was the Phillies. Like, let's be honest, when you knew what the price was. But yeah, this is going to be, to me, a sustained stretch of another team that is that evil empire. That every time, now you've got Otani and you've got Yamamoto, next time a starting pitcher becomes available, you'll be like, well, the Dodgers are probably going to get him. And then when a position player becomes available, you're like, well, the Dodgers are probably going to get him. Dodgers are going to be that team to hate. And i got to be honest with you, I like it. The Yankees, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox. Absolutely. The Yankees and Red Sox always had that rivalry there, but you got more hate towards them when they started adding all of those players and you rooted for the Red Sox in those series. I think now, especially it's a team in the National League, especially it's a team that Cardinals fans have history with, with all of their playoff matchups over the last 10 plus years. Man, this is great to have a, a... a big brother that you despise in the National League that you'll watch have success and say, I want to beat them when we play them in a postseason series. Somebody says on the text line, guys, they're the evil empire that can also develop players. That's what's different. The Dodgers have five top 100 prospects. I think that is something that gets a little lost in translation with the Yankees in the early 2000s. They did develop players. Absolutely. A lot of what made that possible was they also had guys, I mean, Derek Jeter, that they developed internally that just became superstars for them. So they had guys that were developed and they went out and added to that team with the best position players, the best pitchers that became available on the open market. I think things are a little different today. There are more teams that are playing in that free agency game, the Phillies, the Braves, the Cardinals to a degree. Uh, Teams are the Mets. Teams are now spending closer to what those top-end teams are, whereas previously it was like the Yankees were doubling everybody's payroll in all of Major League Baseball. So it's a little different, but, uh, man... 
Shohei Otani and Yamamoto in one offseason, pretty unbelievable with what the Dodgers have done thus far in assembling some just absurd talent. And absurd money. Yeah, like a billion dollars in one offseason. Jesus. Alongside <laughs> Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get to ask us anything coming up at 1145. You guys can always watch us on YouTube as well at youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. Coming up next, normally we would have led about the Blues game that we watched last night. Alex, I know they won, and I'm not trying to pee in anybody's Cheerios this morning on a Friday morning leading into Christmas holiday weekend. It's the holiday season, man. I don't feel like the team that we're watching right now is all that dissimilar from the team that we saw under Craig Berube, and we got to take a look at it coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hard corner, Tucker. Bumps into the wall. You can hear the glass rattle. Three seconds remaining here in Sunrise, and that'll do it. Bring out the Zamboni. A good win on the road for the Blues in Florida tonight. Four to one, the final. Hofer gets the win. The Blues back to a game over 500, and they come home now for a good stretch of home cooking after what's been quite a long run of road games. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. That's what it sounded like right here on 101 ESPN. Your home of the Blues last night as the Blues win on the road in Florida, 4-1 to one against the Panthers. And Alex, he's right. That, that call that you heard there from Kerber, a nice win by the Blues, a needed win by the Blues on the road. I don't know that they played great, though. <laughs> And this is where I'm going to probably pee in some fans' Cheerios this morning. Uh, I understand if you're a Blues fan and you're just saying to yourself, BK, understand this is a retool year and they're, they're out there winning a game on the road against a quality opponent. You're totally correct. And I don't think they were going to do it. So I'll give them credit where it is due. They found a way to win, and that's all you ask for. However... Some of this is about, is this sustainable or not? And Alex, over on moneypuck.com, they have a deserve to win meter And basically, it takes into account, like, hey, based on the underlying numbers, how many shots did you get on net? How, how often were you creating scoring chances versus the opposition? All these different things, right? How often, when a team has that kind of a game, would they win? Based on the Blues' performance last night, it was 12% of the time. The Blues had a 12% deserve to win meter Florida had 87%. Now, at the end of the day, the Blues won. They don't take that win away from you. That is banked. You get the points. The two points count for you and not for Florida last night. I would rather have that than what the expected numbers would say. To answer Randy's question, I'm sure he's listening somewhere right now, and he's he saying, is. do you prefer the regular goals or the expected goals? Obviously, in a game, regular goals. Both. However, however, as we're projecting forward here, which one is more sustainable? The team that is playing better over a long run or the team that got a little fortunate last night? Because, Alex, I saw three different pucks that hit a post for the Florida Panthers last night. And if any of those goes in, we're talking about a very different game. The Blues got flat out outplayed in the first period yesterday. They came out and they once again did not look great early on. What happened was, after they hit the post a few times, Hofer played a great game. And your top line outplayed the opposition. But other than that, man... I didn't think the Blues played all that great last night. And when I looked into the numbers this morning, the only thing that's really changed 
since you've seen the change at head coach with Drew Bannister coming in and Craig Berube being fired. The difference between the Blues now and what the Blues were previously, your power plays better, your penalty kills better. That's it. Nothing else has changed about the way that they're playing right now. So when I look at the way that they won last night and I look at the team and the way that they've been playing so far, I just think it's kind of the same. I think it's kind of the same team that we've been watching all season long. And you can say that's a good or a bad thing, and I think there's arguments on either side, but I think they're basically the same team. I think that was a game that bounces went your direction. And that's not to take away because a lot of hockey is. Like, how do the bounces go? Sometimes they go your way, sometimes they go the opposite way. And last night, you're right. The first period, I mean, it's it's no denying that you were outplayed. I mean, Corsi rating, which measures puck possession at 5-on-5, five five was 67 to 33%. So Florida was on you. Florida got the posts, and it pushed back into it. But here's the thing. Those bounces went your way, and even Drew Bannister said afterwards, like he's not going to sit there and and talk negatively about a win because a win's a win. But he even said that, yeah, maybe we got a little too much passing in our game and that Kyrou thomas Buchnevich line, as great as they were, your offense came from a lot of passes that had a couple of nice bounces that went your direction, and you scored on them. So you can't take anything away from it. The hard part with this Blues team is you just can't read them. And even in a game like that one last night against the Florida Panthers, and I even told Grant at the end of it, it felt like a game that the other team deserved to win, and you pulled it out. Like, Absolutely. if you're the Florida Panthers after that one, you're in the locker room saying, you know what, we played hard in this one, we just didn't get the bounces. And a lot of the times, those have gone against the Blues. And this is one of those games that you go to the opposite side of it, and you say, you know what, we won, but there's still a lot of things to clean up. And a lot of those things that the Blues do need to clean up is the ability to, to stop Florida off of the rush, the ability to stop the team off of the rush. They allowed way too much stuff through the neutral zone, but for right now, you take those because at least it's something to build off of for this team, but that one felt like one of those games that good, you beat the Florida Panthers, who cares? It's tomorrow night's game is where you really judge them. Those are the games that you look at and you say, how do you play against an inferior team? And then you've got eight of nine games against top three teams in their division. How do you look against those teams? Because the Florida Panthers, as great as a win as it is, Florida's not a team you're, you're measuring yourself against. You're measuring yourself against those middle-tier teams and what it looks like against the Western Conference teams. Yeah, I, I think there's two different conversations that can take place simultaneously. One is, you don't apologize for the wins. No. Right now, you, you just need to bank as many of these wins as you possibly can. The other is, what does this mean in the big picture? Right. If you play the way that you did last night, can you reasonably expect them to win against Dallas, Colorado, Vancouver, Carolina, Florida, New York, Boston, Philadelphia? That's your upcoming schedule between now and January 15th. Things are about to get real for the St. Louis Blues with what they are going up against. There is a, a lot of home games in there, and that is going to be helpful for them. But the opposition... Dude, these teams are fighting for real stakes right now. The Blues are hoping to get into the playoffs. And if they don't, 
Just it is what it is. It's but, a retool year. But please don't miss by a couple of points and be the 13th team. <laughs> but these teams that you're going up against, they are pushing to force their front offices to make significant additions at the deadline. Like, I was listening to a podcast this morning with Elliot. They were talking about Colorado and whether or not they could get in on Elias Lindholm because they need a top six forward. Like the, Those are the kinds of things that these teams are thinking about. Meanwhile, the Blues are wondering, like, should we trade Pavel Buchnevich? <laughs> do do we add somebody that maybe is a, able to tinker with our our top nine? Do we add a piece to the blue line? What are we looking at with Scandella? Like those are the kinds of decisions that are being made here in St. Louis. So I, I do think there's a little bit of a difference in terms of the perspective for a lot of these teams. But last night, if you continue playing that way against the the upcoming schedule you will not have the same fortune over the long haul. Yeah, I mean, they're in the ugly middle. They're in the murky middle right now of the NHL, and you're trying to figure out, do we want to go north? Do we want to go south? Where are we going to finish with this one? You're hoping it goes north, but every single time they play a game, there's more elements that you look at and you say, oh, they just haven't figured it out yet. Whether it's five-on-five play, their special teams has gotten a little better over these last couple of games, but you just look at it and you say, it's still missing something. And one element that I felt like last night they really need to figure out is how to get Braden Shen going. I mean, Braden Shen to me, and Joey mentioned this on post game last night or in pregame last night with me. He said they're really trying to find a way to get their captain going. He's played with Jake Neighbors, with Kapanen, with Saad, with Kairou, with Hayes. He's played with everybody. And other than a five game stretch, in a five game stretch in November, he has scored five goals and nine points. That's more than half of his goals this season Mm. and more than half of his points this season in a five-game stretch. To me, this team is still lacking, and we can argue about defense if that needs help or what else they need. They're still missing a a top-six winger because Braden Shen, to me, is still a top-six centerman. You're still missing somebody to play in that top-six because Kairou has shown the ability to do it. Thomas has. Buchnevich has. I think neighbors will be there in in the future. Maybe you've got pieces in the future, but for right now, if you want to get to that next level, they're still missing something in that top six to really get their captain going. That stretch you're talking about where Braden Shin was was playing well, it was early November, November 4th through the 14th, that 10-day stretch. In a five-game stretch, he had five goals, nine points, and was a plus five. So in his other 27 games so far this year, he has three goals, seven points, and is a minus 18 on the ice. That, that's just not good enough. It's not, it's not and him. I'm not blaming him specifically, to be clear here. They've got to find something that is going to click with him. And Alex, you mentioned it was Kapanen and Kairou that were on his line at that point in time. I think this team is just playing a forward short in yep. the top six. And I don't know that they're going to be able to acquire that guy in season. This feels very similar to what happened last year when they had Ryan O'Reilly playing without David Perron for the first time. And they were trying to find something, trying to find... Nothing clicked. Nothing ever clicked for him. And so it it might just be one of those years where Braden Shin has to power through. And then next offseason, the top priority probably needs to be, okay, who can we find that is going to be a winger with Braden Shin? The answer might be Jordan Cairo. And if that ends up being the case, you probably need to find whoever that answer is on that top line that is a little bit more of a power forward that's just going to drive to the front of the net 
with Robert Thomas and if he's still here, Pavel Buchnevich. I just There's so many elements of this team that you're waiting, and this is we're going to talk about this a little bit later with, with the word patience and what it means from the, the chairman for the Blues, but it's such a, a middle tier for this team of trying to figure out, okay, what pieces do we have that are going to be here in three years that we feel like can help us win a Stanley Cup, and what young pieces are going to step in and be able to accomplish something. And right now, it still feels like, even after a, a good win against the Florida Panthers and you feel great about it, it still feels feels like they're still in the roster evaluation period of this retool or whatever you want to call it. And until you get through the roster evaluation side of it, you really can't focus on being a top team going for a Stanley Cup. He's Alex Ferrario. Grant France is back in the studio for us today. T-Bone is out. He'll be back in after the Christmas holiday. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. But coming up next, we got to dive into some NFL quick hitters, Alex. An interesting game last night and I think the Rams have officially emerged as one of those sleeper candidates that could make more noise in the postseason than we expected. We'll get into why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Alex, a big game last night in the NFC with playoff implications as the Rams with Shohei Otani in attendance. And Yamamoto. He was not there. Oh, he didn't show up? He did not show up. (laughs) Stole my joke, Um, but that's okay. Do you think the Rams knew that Shohei Otani has been in L.A. the whole time? No. You think the Rams are focused on anything other than themselves I, right now? Like, did they just find out that, hey, the best player in the world actually plays and resides in L.A., would, even though he's been here for six years with the Angels? I would bet you $100 that at least half of that Rams roster doesn't know who Shohei Otani is. That's fair. So Who? Shohei? <laughs> What's that Who's mean? house? Rams yeah. house. Uh, <laughs> the Rams win last night 30-22 to against the New Orleans Saints. I said this yesterday, Alex. is why I picked the Rams in this game for our pick them. The, the Saints are terrible. That's just a bad football team. And that score is closer than the game actually was. They scored a garbage time touchdown. That thing was over uh, by the end of the third quarter. My question really is about the Rams. Is this a team that you believe can make some noise in the postseason? Because they now have a roughly 70% chance of getting there. I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. Like, hmm. If you look at the Rams' schedule, like you just beat a Saints team. Okay, cool. The Browns' one is probably the best 
comp you can go off of of them beating like a actual opponent. But they I mean they kept it close first the Ravens, but they still lost that game. Cowboys shellacked them. Even the Eagles, a team that none of us are buying in on, beat the Rams. I think that was a perfect example of the Rams beat a trash team that doesn't deserve to be in a playoff conversation. And the Rams are going to be one of those back teams that get in. But I got to be honest, a Rams that takes on a Cowboys team, an Eagles team, or even a Lions team, I don't see them winning in that first round. Interesting. See, I totally could see them beating the Lions. Like, if they go into Detroit in that first round of the postseason, I could absolutely see the Rams winning that game. I think that's a shootout, though, and I would give the edge to the Rams or the Lions in a shootout. Maybe. I I don't know. I I think it would be like a three-point game. Like, I would say Vegas sets the line at three points in favor of the Lions, and I I wouldn't feel super confident either direction in that one. I'll give them credit. They'll keep it interesting no matter what if they play – but, like, if they take on a Cowboys team, which they wouldn't because they're not going to be one of the – like, I think that'll be a Vikings matchup. But when they take on, like, an actual Super Bowl contender, they're it's not even going to be a contest. I, I think you're probably right. I, I will say earlier this year they lost by seven against San Francisco, and they typically play the 49ers pretty well. That's been a matchup uh, that in the past we've seen some success uh, from Sean McVay. I don't know, man. There's something about this team, and I, I want to give them a lot of credit for this. I think I viewed this as a retool year for the Rams. I didn't think that Sean McVay was even going to come back because of how miserable he sounded all of last year. A lot of what's happened is Matt Stafford has just returned to form. Yeah, Matt Stafford looks like the player that he was two years ago, and Matt Stafford last year was never healthy. And he wasn't more right. more than one weapon. Like It's always been Cooper Cup, and then who's he throwing to? So let's continue there. The next thing that I wanted to get to from that game, I think Puka Nakua is your NFL Rookie of the Year this year. The guy has 96 receptions on the season for 1,300 yards. He has been their number one weapon. I have Cooper Cup in my fantasy team yesterday, Alex, because I decided in the middle of the season, I had both, I had Cup and Nakua. I was in a really good spot, right? So when Cup was down, I had Nakua going, and then Cup comes back, and I'm like, all right, let's make a decision here. Who do I want on my team long term? I picked wrong. I picked Cooper Cup, and the guy you want is Cooper Nakua. Cooper Cooper Nakua Nakua is Puka Nakua because he's better. He's more athletic. He's better at the catch point. He's better after the catch now. This guy, to me, is the NFL Rookie of the Year. Do you think there's somebody else that you would take over him? I wouldn't. Um, You know, like if C.J. Stroud doesn't get hurt, he's probably in that conversation. You know, Jordan Addison was making some really good noise, but that's dipped off, especially if it's a team that might be not in the playoff spot. I think it has to be Puka. Nobody else has made this much noise as a rookie this season for the NFL, especially like we are forgetting that Cooper Cup was out for the first five weeks of the season and was still keeping the Rams in the conversation. So, yeah, Puka deserves that. And then the other one, and I don't even know, is Kyron Williams still considered a no. rookie? I was going to say. because the, the guy that right now is the massive favorite in Vegas to yeah. win rookie of the year is C.J. Stroud. And I think C.J. Stroud has been amazing this year. But C.J. Stroud might miss the next couple or has missed a game now and might miss the next one. And they just lost 30-6 to in his most recent game yeah. against the New York Jets. I don't know, man. If he continues missing games and if that team ends up either missing out on the playoffs or is barely in, I I could see how Puka Nakua ends up getting in. I love C.J. Stroud. I was talking about him potentially in the MVP candidacy a few weeks ago. Um, but what we have seen this year from Nakua, I, I think it should be a two-man race. And right now, Vegas is saying that it is very much C.J. Stroud's 
award and to lose. The hard lose. part with that is if, like, if he's not healthy and he doesn't play the whole season, I don't know how you can take that. You can give him that award if Puka stays healthy all year. Yeah, and, and Puka right now is second in the NFL in receiving yards as a rookie. Alex, yesterday as I was watching that game, I thought to myself, man, if the New Orleans Saints could, they'd probably oh. move on from Derek Carr after the season. The problem is they can't because they're still committed to like $50 million to Derek Carr in future seasons. How many teams do you think are in that spot where if they could, they would move on from their quarterback this upcoming offseason? Because it seems like there's more than there has been in previous seasons. Well, um, would I, the Browns move on from Deshaun Watson I if they could? I think the Browns absolutely would do that if they could right now. I would imagine the – do you think the Broncos would? Yes. I was going to say, they've got to be considering doing Raiders that. Raiders would move on Raiders. and probably will move on yeah, after the season. You know, the Titans? Yeah, but, they're going to move yeah, on from Ryan on. Tannehill. It can, Mac Jones isn't in this conversation, right, because they can move on from him. They no will move what. on from him, definitely. Uh, the Giants absolutely and Daniel Jones – you got to wonder if the Washington Commanders are thinking, like, screw this with Sam Howell. Um, I don't know what the Cardinals. They're one that I go back and forth on. I, I think at this point you've seen enough from Kyler that I would yeah. want to see one more year from him. How many more years does Smith, Geno Smith have with the Seahawks? They could probably get out of it after okay. next year if they wanted to. Kirk Cousins, I, I think you're probably absolutely moving on from that one. Packers, Atlanta. Packers will be moving on from Love. Yeah. Atlanta. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I think so. I think he's shown you enough this year. I kind of like what I've seen recently from Jordan Love. It's take, not perfect, but I think he's an interesting player, man. I guess it decides on what the Packers want to be. Do they want to be a team that like might squeak in, or do they want to do something? Because I, I don't even think they've got the pieces, even if you go get a quarterback. But I just don't know if Jordan Love's the guy for them. Maybe not. I would like to see one more year yeah. of it. I, I think he's been better than I expected this season. I think the Panthers absolutely would love to move on from their quarterback. Dude. Problem is they made the worst trade in NFL history. They are giving up a top five pick in the upcoming draft and they don't like their quarterback, and they have nothing around him, so you can't add to the team. Like they, they may end up giving up, and as of today, they would the number one overall pick. Yep. So they could give up Caleb Williams in order to take Bryce Young, who has been dreadful this season. Uh, the top five picks, by the way, in the upcoming draft, based on the current order, the Bears would pick number one and number five. Wow. The Patriots at number two. The Arizona Cardinals at number three and the Washington Commanders at number four. If Washington stays there, if they're in the top five, they've got to take a quarterback. Um, I know that people like what they've seen from Sam Howell. It's not contributing to winning. They've got really good weapons around him. I I think that's a team that needs to get their next quarterback in there. By the way, Alex, I did see something yesterday. Uh, This came from Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated. He said that he's heard from executives the only quarterback in the last five years that would be ranked above either Caleb Williams or Drake May as prospects was Trevor Lawrence. He said the way that they would rank the t- the top quarterbacks over the last five draft classes, if you put them all into a pool, it would be Trevor Lawrence one and then Caleb Williams and Drake May after that. Wow. So be interesting to see what that means for tanking as we go down the next few weeks. God, I hope New England's not stupid enough to be like, no, we don't need a quarterback. We just need an offensive tackle. I hope they do it. I, I hope they screw Just this pure up. pure chaos. It'd be fantastic. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the top contenders' rotations are so much better right now than the Cardinals that I think it's forcing the Cardinals' hands the rest of the offseason. They have to go out there and make an aggressive move. We'll discuss that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything, sports or otherwise, here on 101 ESPN. 
to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. You give us a question, we will give you our answer, sports or otherwise. Alex, let's start with this from the 314. Do you think I'm being reasonable by telling my soon-to-be 18-year-old daughter this is going to be her last quish, uh, Christmas wish list? Difficult to say. Next year begins a gift card and a pack of socks. Is that reasonable in your mind? No, that's unreasonable. Why Why just because they're 18 do they get a gift card and socks? Wouldn't you still do a Christmas list? I'm 33 years old and my mom still asks for a list. My list just entails, hey, I need money. So that's the thing that I... <laughs> I, I I don't know if this is the case for everybody. And hey, listen, if you guys have traditions, something that you do with your family, everybody does it a little differently around this time of the year. And whatever works for you is great. For me, with my mother, my mom just says, hey, I dropped some money in your account. Like, go get whatever you need, whether it's for Luca, for yourself, for Kara, whatever you guys need, go ahead and and go get that taken care of for yourself. Merry Christmas. And that's kind of the way that we keep it moving, right? Like, that's that's the way that our family operates. Uh, A Christmas wish list, if that's something you want to do as a family, cool. If that's something that you don't want to do anymore, though, I don't think you're being unreasonable at all. I think you ask the daughter, like, do you still want to do a Christmas wish list or do you just want me to give you gift cards or Visa gift cards? Like, my mom this year asked what we wanted, and I'm like, Mom, we buy what we want. Get get the girls whatever you want to get them. Exactly. And don't buy us anything. I I feel like once you have kids, the wish list becomes theirs. Yeah. Like, if you want me to put together a wish list, it's just going to be diapers. (laughs) It's just going to be stuff that we need that is a necessity around the house. It's like I, I told Katie, it's like, I don't even want anything on Christmas because I'd rather sit and watch the girls open up more stuff than me open up something that I don't need or that I could just buy whenever I need it. So, hey, whatever you do works. But if your 18-year-old still has Christmas lists and doesn't want socks and a gift card, that might be a little unreasonable. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Guys, what do you think is the minimum number of World Series that the Dodgers need to win over the next decade to make this a, quote, successful run? I mean, it's unreasonable to say, but I think at minimum you've got to win two. I think you've got to win two for this to be considered a success because you just spent a billion dollars on three pitchers and a hitter, however you want to view Shohei. But, like, if you're going to spend a billion dollars and you only come away with one World Series, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to call that a success. Like, cool, you got one banner, but for that much money and that much talent you just paid, you should be flying at least two of them. So teams that have won multiple... I would say like the modern era of baseball is like post 2000, basically last 20 years, basically teams that did multiple world series victories in a 10 year stretch. The Red Sox did it. Oh, four, oh, seven and 2013. So three over the course of a decade. They also then ended up winning in 2018 as well. I think if you want to be considered one of the teams of the decade, you probably got to get yourself to three. 
Giants also got three, 2010, 2012, 2014. Astros ended up getting, was it two? Two. Two over the course of a five-year stretch. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say you got to get to – you got to win at least two. Yeah. Probably three. And I think you've got to get there like four or five times. I would say you have to be there five times. you got to be there half of the decade. Yeah, I – that's a lot, man. I mean, get, getting to the World Series five times in a 10-year stretch how is... Many, how many teams pay players a billion right. dollars? It's a different set of expectations than yeah. anybody else in Major League Baseball. So I, I'd say get there at least four, win at least two, and that is the bare minimum requirement. For it to truly be successful, though, I think it's three and five. Yeah. You got to win three, you got to get to five. And I mean, look, if, you, if you're going to put yourself into the same conversation as the Yankees, because that's the team that you comp them to, like if you're going from just 2000, you're talking about win a World Series, lose a World Series, lose a World Series. In a four-year span, you were there three times, and then just in 10 years, you got back to it. So you were there five times in a 10-year span from 2000 to 2010. Uh, 314 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Guys, earlier today, Josh Ennis was on the air, and he said that he is a 10 on the scale of 1 to 10 in the douche scale. Where would you rank yourself? Yikes. <laughs> okay. Um, That's what we're talking about? I'd say I'm a solid 7. I think I'm I'm less of a jerk than people probably think based on my on what I am on the air. I, I like to believe that at least. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I can come off that way at times, and I'm, I'm trying to work on it, but it's just never going to change. This is who I am, and it is what it is. Uh, I'd say s- 7. 7 feels right for me. I'll put myself at a 5. I think I'm a good you person. You think? I think I'm a good person. You think? I think so. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah, I don't, do you f- ha- I don't have a tone problem. See that? Okay, six because that was kind of a douchey thing. To <laughs> he say. just moved it yeah, up. A that little was bit. a douchey thing to I say. I feel like ah. Grant. Grant's a solid like one. Oh yeah, Grant's like a zero. Grant's too kind. I try and get Grant into that like douchey category during Blues games, and he won't do it. He just lets me look like the, yeah. the jerk. Yeah, so, I, I probably need to be a little bit more douchey at times, to be honest. <laughs> um, Don't we all? Don't we all, Grant? I mean, you, Alex, you and I uh, at like the 930 starts, sometimes it, it gets oh, a little yeah. elevated. <laughs> but, yeah, if you could have seen Grant last night when the radio dropped yeah. out in Oh, Florida. that's a good call. Yeah, whenever, yeah. whenever there's technical difficulties, yeah, the, the, the number <laughs> yeah, rises you, quite a bit. You know where, uh, where Grant's douche dar comes off the charts is when technology breaks sure grant just starts cussing everything out yeah. Grant becomes a grant becomes a very angry individual that when and when break. that and when kickers missed ex- extra points that's another very time true especially if they're on his fantasy team i feel like tanner's a little higher on this list oh, than tanner's people are giving him nine. credit for tanner's a nine. and i say that with love in my heart because he's coming after my own sensibilities <laughs> like he and i have a lot more in common than we'd probably like to admit um I, i'd say nine. that's yeah we're if I'm if I'm a her text line is saying that I'm a little higher than I'm giving myself credit What's for. They the said I'm line? being modest. What's the text line <laughs> saying about me? Oh, someone said I'm bigger, uh, bigger, you know what than you? No, yeah, maybe. Whoa! Somebody said you guys are selling yourselves way short in this oh, department. This, this one, this one's actually probably spot. It says more, you're more pissy than douchey, Alex. That's fair. Yeah, like if there was like a <laughs> there was like a crybaby radar, I'd be ten <laughs> on that one. Like I just don't like people. So guys, I, have, I haven't told this. This is incredible. So we were at the grocery store the other day. My two year old 
uh, we were walking down an aisle and somebody was walking behind me and she looks up and she goes, Daddy, people, no, no people. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I raised her right. No people, baby girl. Coming after your own heart. That's right. He's Alex Ferrario. He does not like human beings. Even during this time <laughs> of the year, you got to love to see it. That's Grand Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you guys uh, want to get involved in the show, 314-399-9646 is the place to do so. That is the Air Comfort Service text line. You can also get involved on the YouTube chat which is just a huge fan of me at 101 espn Welcome. stl so you can go check that out if you'd like to see what they have to say about the show as well or if you'd like to contribute you can do that all over on youtube coming up in about 15 minutes or so alex tom stillman sat down yesterday with chris kerber the voice of the blues to talk about where the blues are at right now the direction of the team and after listening to his conversation with curbs it gave me the belief that this is a rebuild a legit rebuild, even if they're unwilling to say that out loud. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Let you hear his comments for yourself as well. But coming up next, I think the top contenders around the National League are officially putting pressure on John Mosellock to make the big move that he's been hesitant to make. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, when we look at what the uh, what the moves mean from the rest of the National League in regards to the Cardinals, I think one of the things that you look at is the Cardinals are lacking when it comes to their starting pitching. And we knew this. But it's become even more glaring with what the Dodgers have added so far this offseason. The Dodgers' top four starters as of today would be Yamamoto, Tyler Glasnow, Walker Bueller, and Bobby Miller. You can make a pretty strong argument that those top three guys in their rotation are better than anybody that the Cardinals have. And there's almost no question about it, in my opinion, that those top four guys would all slot in with Sonny Gray as four of the five best starters that the Cardinals have. You then look over at what the Braves have to offer. Their top two is better than yours. You look at what the Phillies have to offer. Their top two, better than yours. These are the legitimate contenders in the National League right now. And so you look around this league and you say to yourself, all right, I, I personally am high on this Cardinals offense. I think it's pretty darn good. But it's not good enough to make up for the fact that you are lacking on the pitching side of things. You look at that Dodgers offense, like, man, I was the one that was low on them last year. You had Shohei Otani to the mix. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Will Smith, Shohei yeah, Otani. Thanks for trying National League. We'll see you next year. Yeah, what, what more are you going to do there? So earlier today, I was listening to Greg Amsinger, and I think we have this in on the – the cuts now, Alex, I emailed this to you if you oh, want to yeah, save it for it up me. Real quick. I'll save it. In there. Um, so we'll get into this here in just a little bit. But I was listening to the Greg Amsinger interview, and he said a couple of things that stood out to me as he was on with the opening drive. So the first thing that he did was he said, 
the Dodgers have become the new evil empire. They are now the team that the Yankees were at the beginning of the 2000s, where everybody is chasing them and all fans will root against them as we get into the postseason. And you hope that their team loses as much as you hope that your team wins. So when you look at it from that regard, that is what they have overtaken. That is who they have become in the National League. The other thing that they have done, though, is if you're a fan of one of these other teams in the National League, they have put pressure on your general manager or your president of baseball operations to go make the move that you've been asking for. And I think that is exactly what the Cardinals need to do. Here's Greg Amsinger talking about the Cardinals' need for a number one starter earlier today. Starting pitching is not as good as what the Los Angeles Dodgers have. Guys, by all accounts, everyone I've talked to, Yamamoto is a superstar pitcher. And when Glass now is healthy, which he's never really been in his career, he might have the best stuff in baseball. These two guys have been added to a rotation that's got Walker Bueller coming back. These two guys have been added to a rotation that in 2025, Shohei Otani will be injected into the ring. The St. Louis Cardinals, you think big picture here. Are we going to even sniff a World Series or are the Dodgers going to build this juggernaut? Are the other National League teams going to sit by the side and watch the Dodgers build a machine that no one else can compete with? I would be shocked if that were the case. Yeah, you can't do that. No. You can't do that because if you're just going to sit back and let them run the National League for the next five years, like, what are we doing here? Trade trade Nolan Arnauto, trade Paul Goldschmidt, trade jo- Jordan Walker. There's no reason to even yeah, – you know what? Fold the franchise. Years. Build for five years from now. Fold the franchise. Just get rid of it. If you're not going to try to compete, then there's no reason to even have the franchise go out there and compete on a day-in, day-out basis. That's not what they're going to do. They're going to try to compete because that's w- – Oh, they well, wouldn't they, have signed Sonny Gray. That, they wouldn't have signed Sonny Gray if they weren't trying to compete in 2024. So now you take it a step further, Alex. Your rotation at number one, your rotation at three through five, it's okay. It's all right. It can compete. You're missing that other guy. You're missing that front-end starting pitcher that you can really build around, and those guys might become available this offseason. This offseason is far from over, dude. The only starter that has been traded of meaning – is Tyler Glass now? And let's be honest, apparently he was never going to come here. He was always going to end up with the Dodgers. That sounds like it was his top choice. That was his priority, and the extension got it done. You could still go out there and acquire one of the Mariners pitchers, one of the Marlins pitchers. You could go out there and get a Dylan Cease, maybe a Fran Valdez. And if you do that, this team can compete. It's not as good as the Dodgers on paper, but... There have been a lot of teams that weren't as good as the team that they were going up against on paper, and then they beat them in the postseason. The Atlanta Braves in 2021, the 2019 Nationals, the 2023 version of the Diamondbacks. These teams weren't as good as the quote-unquote best team in the National League. So Cardinals are still there. They can still compete. They just got to go out and get a front-end starter. One one quick response to a text that we got on our Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. It says, we said the same thing last year about the Mets signings. Uh, One team isn't the end-all, be-all for a division Here's the thing, though. The Mets signed two dudes that were at 40 years old. You just signed a 25-year-old in his prime, a Tyler Glass now who's still in his prime, and Shohei Otani who's still fairly young. So that's very different types of things, and you are talking about Walker Bueller coming back into that rotation. Jesus, I didn't even think of that one. And the the Nets had nothing to backfill. The yeah. Dodgers have the best farm system in all of Major League Baseball with young pitching and position players coming up. And two of the best hitters currently in the game. The Mets had one of the worst farm systems in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah. So that's the other thing that I think is very different. The Mets had none of the infrastructure. The Dodgers have been building the infrastructure for the last decade. Ten years from now, if the Mets did what they did last offseason, we'd probably be having a different discussion. You do need to go out and make a move. And here's the thing. I, I know... Everybody wants the World Series, but for the Cardinals, I think the first 
stepping stone. And look, I'm the one that says, like, if you're going to take this step, just say you're a World Series contender. It's different now that the Dodgers have become a juggernaut. First step for you is to say, let's be sure that we are the best team in the NL Central. And I don't even think you can state that you for sure are the best team in the NL Central right now because nobody else is doing anything and you've made slight movement. Go out there and make sure that you are winning the NL side Central crown. Make sure that you can compete to be the second best team in the National League. And that's with the Phillies. That's with the Braves. One move, you can do that this offseason by going out there and acquiring that starting pitcher. The Framber Valdez, the Logan Gilbert, the Dylan Cease. You do that. We're still talking about the main focus being find a way to get one of those buys. Find a way to be one of those top two teams so you don't have to worry about the wild card round. And then you can focus on what T-Bone likes to talk about all the time. Anything can happen in a best of five. I don't believe it, but if you actually back it up with a roster that's got a legit number one, Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, and some depth to your rotation, a bullpen that can do the job, and an offense that's expected to be good once again, you can go up against anybody. Are you the favorite? Absolutely not. But we've seen crazier things. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, from the 618. Guys, the next step for the Cardinals is not to add another starter. It's to go to the bullpen and add pieces there. I think that is likely what they will do. I, I don't know that it is what I would do. Do. And that doesn't, in my opinion, set you to that next level like I just explained. Yeah, I, I think that they could use some bullpen arms. Don't get me wrong. I would like to see them go out there and get, you know, Phil Maton, for example, as, as somebody that I think helps your bullpen. Five million bucks, seven million bucks. It's not going to set you back in a crazy way. The, the move that really puts you over the top, the move that puts you into a category right below the Dodgers with the other legitimate contenders in the National League, that's going out and getting Framber Valdez. That's going out and trading for Dylan Cease. And yesterday we talked to Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com who said, hey, to go out and get that guy, it might actually not require you to trade Nolan Gorman. It might be more of a Tink Hintz, Thomas J.C., Dylan Carlson, Alec Burleson type of a package. Quantity over quality. Exactly. And if that is the direction that the White Sox are heading in, Let's make the call, dude. Like, go ahead and send that into the Major League Baseball offices and let's get this thing taken care of because that's the kind of move that the Cardinals should be very interested in. They've got all the quantity in the world. I am concerned about giving up too much of the top-end quality when it comes to trading Nolan Gorman. I would still probably consider it, though, in the likes of getting Frambois Valdez, again, if he is available. The thing that that might require, though, is it, it may require you to go a little light in your bullpen. Alex, are you comfortable if it if it goes above their budget to get both the starter and the bullpen? Would you rather be light in the bullpen but get that number one starter that we're talking about, Cease, Valdez, etc.? Or would you rather get the bullpen but be light at the number one starter position? I'd rather be light in the bullpen and get my number one starter because I know this team. And there's two options if they're handed to me at the trade deadline. I know one's not happening, and that's acquiring a top-end starting pitcher. They will acquire a bullpen arm. Will it be a back-end guy or some middling guy? Probably more the middling guy. But they've worked out in the past for this Cardinals team. I would much rather go into this upcoming season, and it's what Mo talked about. Our goal is to shorten the amount of games and shorten the amount of times we're going into the bullpen. Well, you've done that. Gibson and Lynn can be guys that provide you a ton of innings. And as Kylie McDaniel said yesterday, these guys probably aren't even pitching in the playoffs for you. But you know that they're going to be able to get you to that point to not overuse individuals. 
Go get your number one. Go into the off or go into the, the spring training with Romero and Helsley and Gallego says your big three. You've got a lot of arms that you're developing. Make them start it off as bullpen arms. Use the Graceffos and the McGreevies and see if they can come out of the bullpen for you. And then when you're short at the deadline, go get that bullpen arm because you can do that. That's where I'm at. I I saw a video yesterday on Twitter of Riley O'Brien, the guy yeah. that they acquired from the Mariners. He's throwing he's throwing 99 miles an hour right now with crazy movement on his pitches. Ryan Fernandez has some interesting stuff. Gio, if he has a little bit of a bounce back this year, he's he's good enough to be an eighth inning guy for you. Ryan Helsley's one of the better closers in the game when right. Matthew Libertor in one inning spurts, if that's the role that they decide to give him has been pretty good so far. And previously, I really liked what we saw from Zach Thompson when he was coming out of the bullpen as well. And if you end up going with one of Tinkins, uh, maybe TK Roby or Graceffo, whoever ends up profiling best, if you have one of those guys coming out of your bullpen, and then Jojo Romero as well, like I could see how this works out. You're throwing numbers at the bullpen, even if there is not a, a clear-cut, no-doubt-about-it addition the rest of the way. I can't do that with the rotation right now, man. I can't squint and say to myself, okay, you've got a guy that starts a game two of a playoff series, and I don't have the belief that this team will acquire that individual at the deadline. I don't think getting this year's version of Jose Quintana is good enough. I don't think that getting this year's version, I guess maybe Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery would be good enough, but like that's the level that you would have to go to and probably even better than that. So... I don't think they're going to make that move. I think you have to make it in the offseason and prevent yourself from having to do so in season this yeah. time around. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we did get a number of texts during this segment saying something to the effect of, guys, that's all fine and good, but the offense is still a problem too. I heard earlier today Josh Innes was on the balloon, or not the balloon party, yeah, the balloon party, and he was talking about how, yeah, it's great that the Cardinals are going to potentially add more pitching, the offense, though, is the bigger problem. I'll discuss why I disagree with that coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Tom Stillman talked yesterday with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. And after hearing his conversation, Alex, I think the Blues are officially in a rebuild, even if they're not willing to say that out loud. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get into the Cardinals offense, which some people think is not good enough. I'm going to disagree with that, but we'll discuss what needs to improve in 2024 here in just a little bit. But Alex, yesterday, we had the opportunity to get a an early peek at a conversation that Chris Kerber had, the voice of the blues, with Tom Stillman. This is going to be made available to the public, Alex? Uh, it's up on, on his uh, Curbside podcast right now. I had it last Fantastic. night on our intermissions. So be sure to check that out, the Curbside podcast. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc. Um, it's a good conversation, and I would recommend everybody listen to it in its entirety. But there was a, a, a piece in the middle where they talked about where the blues are at right now, Alex. And as I was listening to Tom Stillman, all I could think was, man, they're not saying it out loud, but I kind of think they are finally admitting the quiet part, which is, yeah, we could call it a retool. We can say we're trying to compete. We're doing what the Kings did. The truth is they're in the middle of a rebuild. And when I heard this specifically from Tom Stillman, 
it pretty much, at least to me, confirmed it. I'm curious what you guys have to think about it. Give your thoughts at 314-399-9646. That's the Air Comfort Service X line. Here's Tom Stillman with Chris Kerber on the Curbside Podcast. Doug's process is, it is very deliberate, very analytical, looking at every possible consideration. So you know that everything is well, well thought out. One of uh, Doug's attributes is that he reaches out to others to get views. He doesn't get in his own echo chamber and just reaffirm what his initial impulse is. He reaches out to his his own staff of people with tremendous experience and well beyond so that he, he knows that when it comes to a decision, he knows he's taken everything into consideration. Looking forward, I think there's been a very exacting look at what pieces we have now and how does that accommodate pieces that are coming uh, down the road? We suddenly, after you know, a fairly short time, have a very, very different prospect pipeline. I found that last pit there, Alex, to be the most compelling and the most revealing. Yeah. What pieces we have now and how they accommodate the pieces that we have coming. Alex, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, how does Dvorsky fit into this? How does Jimmy Snuggerud fit into this? How does Zachary Bolduc fit into this? What do their futures look like for the St. Louis Blues? What are their future roles? And how can we just plug those goal, those gaps right now? That's what Kasperi Kapanen is. He's, he's filling a gap that you have right now. You needed somebody that was a capable top nine winger that can allow you to continue to evaluate the players that are currently on your roster and put out a representative product while Kapanen is a part of the roster, and he's done that. Alexi Torpchenko, he's not a top nine forward. I know that they continue to try to use him that way, but on a contending team, he's a fourth-line player that is a really good fourth-line player. Uh, at this point in his career, Brandon Saad, probably not a top six winger for most teams that are contending. On this team, a lot of nights he is. Jake Jake Neighbors, I'll be honest, I, I don't think he right now is a top six winger. For this team, he is on a lot of nights. I think he's a third line winger, and that's what his best role is going to be long term. But for right now, he's plugging that gap as a top six winger. I, I will be very curious to see what that means for Pavel Buchnevich's future. How do they view him fitting in with the players that are on their way, with the salary and what they're going to have to give him? How do they view the Braden Shin-Kevin Hayes situation? Are they both centers long-term for this team? Are they both going to be here long-term for this team? When he said all of that, it made me think to myself, all right, we've also heard Doug Armstrong come in and say, hey, we're going to keep these guys in the minors for the rest of this year, and then it's going to take a while. It's going to take two or three years before they're really up to snuff at contending-level players at the NHL roster. It's going to be a minute before this team is contending for something meaningful again. And so while we do break these games down on a day-to-day basis and we will continue doing so, we're going to talk about this team potentially contending for the playoffs this year. The truth is they're in the middle of a rebuild. And if they contend for the playoffs in the middle of a rebuild, great. But that's where they're at right now. Yeah, and I I don't think the L.A. Kings, if you were to ask Rob Blake if they were in a retool or a rebuild, I don't think he would have told you a retool. And let's be let's be real here. Doug Armstrong said re-whatever-you-want-to-call-it. He didn't label it directly as a retool. He said rebuild, retool, or whatever you want to label it. There's, there's a level of patience that comes into these certain areas, and I'll go back to post um, the Chris Pronger trade, post-lockout back in the 2004 era, and when you're 
when you're going through that that rebuild process, you you rely on the draft, you rely on the development, but you rely on the experience that you have at your roster so that you can fast track those players into a winning culture. The reason teams get stuck in a long rebuild versus a short rebuild is the veteran voices around them. Montreal is a perfect example. Arizona is another perfect example. The reason it's taken so long to get here is because when they've brought in the Clayton Kellers, the Cole Caulfields, these young guys that they've drafted with high status, who are they looking up to to, to figure out how to win? I think that's a problem in the NBA that happens a lot, too. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of teams that, like, they, they try to go through the rebuild, and they keep rebuilding, and they're just in this constant cycle of, hey, we're going to get the right guys. We're going to get the right guys. Charlotte does this. Detroit right now has lost 25 consecutive basketball games. By the Alex. way, it's plus 400,000 for them not to win a game the rest of the season. Smash that immediately. 25 straight basketball yeah. games they've lost. They, they don't bring in Which, any veterans, and the reason why you're losing all of these games is because the young players that you're bringing in, they have bad habits, and they continue to have these bad habits because there's nobody to teach them how to be a pro. Yep. And here in St. Louis, that is one thing that I do like that they have done. It's not as if they have gone full-blown rebuild. Not that they could because the contracts that they have on the books, but they do still have some guys that are just like pros, pros inside of the locker room. Yeah, well, and, and so that's that's it. Like, the Arizona Coyotes are playing incredible hockey right now. Here's the thing. At some point, they're going to have to turn their gears from regular season to postseason. And if you don't have guys who know what it takes to win at that level, you're always going to be stuck in that cycle. You can be a great-looking team with a lot of talent, but not be a team that can win. And if you don't have those groups, Marty St. Louis a couple of years ago had an incredible comment when he took over talking about why they re-signed Jake Allen. And he said, this is a guy who knows what it takes to win on the highest level, and we don't have that in our locker room. So for the Blues, they, they're, they're in this, this three-year window that Doug Armstrong wants it to be, but they're in that three-year window because he's expecting these players that have winning pedigree to bring along the rest. But if you don't have that, which is pretty evident that they're a little concerned with it, firing a Craig Berube and bringing somebody else in to get accountability, well, now the process is going to take a lot longer. You've got a ton of talent in your minor league system. It's a franchise record having six players compete in the World Junior Tournament coming up in a couple of days. None of that matters if you don't have that winning pedigree. Now, Doug Armstrong, with one big move, could make this look a lot faster than what it needs to be. And by big move, I mean you're bringing in an established defenseman, an established forward, somebody who's got that winning pedigree to play in certain levels of competitiveness. Do you feel that way? I, if, so, like, here's the thing. If they were to go out there and get a Noah Hannafin, if they were to go out there and sign a Sam Reinhardt in the offseason, I feel like you're expediting that because you're bringing in more talent to play. But do you think a, they're a contender? No. I don't think you're going to be a contender for a good three years until you've got Snuggerud, Dvorsky, Stenberg, more depth to your forwards and when you get away from some of these contracts. Because that's how I feel. I, I don't feel like they're a contender if they had one of those but guys. But I, I think you're a team that could at least do damage in a postseason and build more experience because of Jordan Bennington. And, and to be fair, like that doesn't mean you don't make the move. No. You're trying to build. You're, you're trying – 
if you believe that, whether it's Lindholm or whoever your guy is that you want to add to this roster, whoever that player is, if you think they can be a part of this long-term build here in St. Louis, then you do it. And you add them to the core right now, and they become somebody that is a part of the locker room already when those young players are are continuing to be added as well. So I don't have a problem with them going out there and making that big move right now. And maybe that means that next year, instead of being battling for a playoff spot, maybe they're battling for third in the division, right? And so you... You expedite the rebuild, and now you're maybe not contending. That's what the Kings did the last couple of years. The last two years were competing for a wild card spot. Now they're competing for a top spot in the division. So I I think you could still do it, but I I don't know that they are a contender by making that move. Somebody on the text line said, guys, if you have a franchise-level goalie, you are not ever in a rebuild. This the comparison that we've continued to make, and it's because Doug Armstrong has made it so often, is the LA Kings. They had a franchise-level goaltender while they were going through their rebuild. And whether you want to call it a rebuild or a retool, man, they were the worst team in their division for a three-year stretch. Uh, they were bad. <laughs> they were a really bad team. In fact, it was worse there than it is right now here in St. Louis. And Jonathan Quick was their goalie. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't, like, he started 63, 46, and 42 games over that three-year stretch. It wasn't as if he wasn't getting opportunities or was hurt the entire year. He was out there, and they just weren't well, good because they weren't good around him. Let's look at the Anaheim Ducks. The Anaheim Ducks have arguably one of the best goaltenders, too, in the game with John Gibson, but they're playing on a very bad team that's rebuilding. So, like, you can have franchise goaltenders on rebuilding teams, that's the reason why you want to get out of that rebuild faster. And that's yep. the reason Doug Armstrong called it a retool, because you don't want to waste the primes of Colton Pareko and Jordan Bennington, because when you exit out of it with bad contracts or with forwards who are ready to take that next step, well, now you're filling other holes, and now that vicious cycle just continues. The reason that I said that they need to make a bigger, bigger trade is because you can't bring – the reason this might go longer is because you can't bring Bullduke, Dean, Snuggerud, Dvorsky into this roster. Because if accountability is a problem now, boy, you don't want to bring 18, 19, and 20-year-old kids who are just learning pro hockey into a locker room that has an accountability problem. You fix the accountability problem, then you can start fast-tracking these younger players into NHL experience. And that's the answer to another question that we got on the text line, which is if they're going into a rebuild, why why fire Craig Berube? It's because you, you want to make sure that those habits sustain. Yeah. You, you want to make sure that your team is going out there and trying on a night in night out basis. And once that goes away, now the entire culture within your organization can rot over the course of a season. And then you bring up those young guys that you're talking about, that they are basically pinning the future of the organization to, and they come into a situation that is not a good one. Like last year, what they they decided, Hey, we don't want to have our young guys around what's going on right now. And then it rots them to the core. Uh They become losing hockey players and you can't get those habits out of them over the years when you are trying to contend again. So that, that's why you make And move. not to dwell on the past, but this is why we both felt like it was necessary to at least keep a David Perron around. Yeah. But if you wanted to go further, David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Petrangelo, those three were pivotal in this continuing to stay and never really feeling like you're in a rebuild because the culture was already in place, those players would hold every other player accountable in that locker room. That's the accountability, and now you're trying to find somebody who can hold all of the other players accountable. All right, coming up in a little bit, we'll get into the junk drawer, but coming up next, is the Cardinals offense good enough right now? I've heard a ulterior belief on this on the balloon party earlier today as Josh Innes was filling in. I want to give our thoughts on it coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. 
PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and Grant on BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So I'll give credit where it's due. Josh Janis made me think earlier today, man. He was in on the balloon party and he was talking about the Cardinals offense. He was talking about how, hey, everybody talks about this pitching and they're right. They need to improve the pitching. It was too bad last year. We didn't even give them a chance to win games. But the reality is the offense wasn't good enough either. And Alex, I'm going to agree with him there. The offense should have been better last year. You had Paul Goldschmidt who put together his worst slugging percentage of his career by 20 points. Nolan Arenado, worst full season offensively since his rookie year. Newbar, Walker, Gorman, they missed a combined 40, or each of them missed at least 45 games last year. So offense should have been better. But here's where I will disagree a little bit, is where we're projecting forward. I fully anticipate that it's going to be better. I don't have the same concerns that I've seen from some about the offense. This offense, as currently constructed, I believe, and you don't have to agree with this, but my current opinion on it, is that it's a contending lineup. You have a championship-caliber lineup with what you have available to you already. And the reason why is because I saw it for the most part last year, and this is while Jordan Walker was still trying to figure out and get his sea legs underneath him early on in the season. Alex, up until July 31st, which is the date that I'm going to use as an endpoint, not because it's fun with numbers, but because after that, they shut down Brendan Donovan for the season. They traded off all of their pitching, and the team knew it was going into tank mode. So I, I think it's fair to go ahead and say that was the point at which the Cardinal season, for all intents and purposes, came to an end. At that point... The Cardinals position players were ninth in Major League Baseball in wins above replacement. They were fifth in the National League. They were sixth in Major League Baseball in OPS plus third in the National League. They were 12th in Major League Baseball in runs scored and fifth in the National League. Would you like that run scored per game to be better? Yes, I agree with that. Everybody who says that they've got to come through in clutch situations better than they did early on last season, you will not hear a disagreement from me. I'm totally right there with you. And I expect them to. Wilson Contreras showed you in the second half exactly who he's going to be as a hitter. It's pretty damn good. I think we saw in the second half of the season what Lars Newbar and Jordan Walker can be as hitters. Again, pretty damn good. When healthy, Nolan Gorman was awesome last year, man. He was on pace for 35 home runs if he plays a full season. Basically, what we're saying here is, hey, was last year real from Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt? Was that the start of the decline? Or was it more of a one-off? I think for Nolan Arenado, it was a one-off. For Paul Goldschmidt, I think it was the start of the decline, but I don't expect it to be as bad this upcoming season when it comes to the slugging percentage. So you put all of that together, I don't have fears about this offense. I think they're going to be really good. Best in Major League? No. But they could be a top-five offense in the sport and top-three-ish in the National League. I don't think that's uh, out of the realm of the possible at all. Do you feel the same way if you pluck one of Donovan or Gorman out of the lineup in a trade. Gorman concerns me, but not for the regular season. Okay. The thing about Gorman is I, I want that pop in the postseason when you're going up against a ton of stud power right-handed starters, and I need the ability to put the ball in the seats at a moment's notice. Yeah. And Gorman gives me that. 
and Donovan doesn't, and I don't know if you have enough of that in your lineup around him. So if you have to trade Gorman, yes, I am concerned, not so much for the regular season, but when it matters the most in the postseason, if you have enough to, to cover up for that. Because that was my, my only thought when you were going through that is, okay, but what does this look like if they decide to make the trade to bring in one of those stud relievers? And I'm on the same page. Like I would much rather them move Donovan than Gorman because of that left-handed pop, but either way, I'd still have faith in the offense, maybe not as as high as we are on it now, but the two guys that you mentioned, I just don't believe that it was a start of the downfall. Goldschmidt is just so hard to believe, especially following an MVP season. Like I, I you don't have an MVP season and then drop off that significantly and have that bad of a decline. So uh, maybe it's maybe it is going south, but not that fast. And I think that rebounds like a, ba- a, r- a rubber band and Arenado. I just refuse to believe that with a Nolan Arenado who puts all of that work into it. Those are the key cogs in this, though. We could sit here and talk. I mean, Jordan Walker, absolutely. Nolan Gorman's a big piece of this. You saw what Wilson Contreras can provide. Those are all the secondary pieces that you need to be successful. And of secondary pieces in Major League Baseball, I think the Cardinals have some of the best. But it comes down to your one-two punch with the Braves, the Dodgers, um, the Yankees, the Phillies. All of those one-two punches are all MVP caliber. Yeah. But, like, look at what the, the Arizona Diamondbacks had last year to get to the World Series, right? But they now, won a different way. Like, they won by by speed on the base pass. They did, but I think this Cardinals team has the ability to be so deep lineup-wise that they can win that way, right? We look back at the uh, the Chicago Cubs, and at the time, we looked at it, and it was like, man, look at this core of position players. You look back at it, and it, it was just a lot of pretty good position players for the most part. And crazy good power by Kyle Schwarber, of course. That's your uh, Nolan Gorman corollary there. But for the most part, they were just really deep. They had a bunch of dudes in their lineup, one through nine, that were pretty darn good. All of them like 15 to 20% above league average offensively. I kind of view the Cardinals as being that way. Even if yet last year was the start of a decline phase for Paul Goldschmidt, Man, he was still 20% better than league average offensively. It wasn't like he was this bad offensive player. He's still pretty darn good. Wilson Contreras, basically the same. Nolan Gorman, basically the same. Arnado's got to be better. That's the one that I'll pinpoint that if last year was the start of a decline for him, you might be in trouble there because I don't know that anybody else on your team profiles to be that level of a cleanup hitter. But Lars Newpar, 20% above league average. I think Jordan Walker's going to be 20% above league average. Brendan Donovan's been that so far in his career. Like, I just named eight players that are all 15 to 20% above league average in their projections for the upcoming season. There might be like two other teams in Major League Baseball that can claim that kind of depth in their lineup. The Cardinals are one of them. So do they have the same level of Shohei Otani, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman? No. Do they have Austin Riley and Ronald Acuna Jr.? No. Do they have Bryce Harper and Trey Turner? No. But what they do have that some of these other teams don't that I just listed is more depth in the lineup. And that is the way that they have to win in 2024. Yeah, well, and that's that's what's going to take this team from being a team that you view as, yeah, okay, they could do some damage to a team that how are we going to beat them? Because I mentioned the one-two punches. That's what every team has to have. you got to have that. But what do those depth pieces provide to your team? Because when this team was looking at its best and we said offense isn't the problem, we were talking about Newpark turning into what we've expected him to be. Walker was showcasing his superstar power. Wilson Contreras got up to that MVP level. That's when we all sat there and said, good, figure out your pitching and you'll be on the right page. The 2021 Blues, where they won with the depth of scoring, 
That is this lineup. Yeah. You're probably not going to have a guy next year, unless it's Nolan Arnato that contends for an MVP in the National League. Correct. That's probably not the way this team is constructed. But you could have five dudes that finish the year with an OPS over 850, or over 820 probably. And that's a pretty damn good lineup. Again, I'll make the comparison because I think it's the way that they're trying to construct this roster. They are trying to recreate the 2013 lineup, not the 2004 lineup. Yeah. And that is the way that they're going about things. Now, the way that you do that, though, you got to recreate a rotation that has a front-end starter other than Sonny Gray. So for me, it's it's not even close. If you're talking about what the biggest question is, the biggest concern is for the Cardinals the rest of this offseason, what they need to do in order to address their problems going into 2024, it is the rotation, and if you want to throw it there as well, it is the bullpen. It's the pitching. It's always been the pitching. It always will be the pitching until they address it in a more meaningful way. That's where my questions are, where my questions lie with this team. I don't really have concerns about the offense. And by the way, one other aside on this, Alex, the other thing is I don't think there's a legitimate upgrade available to you on the free agent market. So even if you did say, hey, the Cardinals offense is a problem, even if I conceded that point, which I don't, Dusho meter 10, uh, up to a 10 now. You're at a 10? Um, even if you did concede that point, okay, show me the upgrade on the on the um, market right now that yeah. you would like the Cardinals squad there and acquire. It, it really doesn't exist. Well, and people keep, terrible people line, keep, terrible offseason for uh, position players. People keep saying on our text line, Air Comfort Service text line, uh, to, to go get Cody Ballinger and make sure you're stacked. That is not the type of money that I need to be spending right now. Like we're if already, you go get Bellinger, you're not getting the starter. Well, but or like, bullpen. I, sure, everybody would love Cody Bellinger, but wh- you were already trying to figure out how the hell you're going to get batty or at bats for Gorman, Donovan, and Yvonne Herrera, and now add in another guy that you're trying to. Figure I mean, what, out what you to do, do with? if you were to go that rate, like if we're playing this game, right? If he was going to cost you ten million bucks a year and he was available in the offseason, I'd go get him. Sure. Plug him into center field. Yeah. You put Tommy Edmond at shortstop, and you say, Mason Wynn, you got to earn it. Yeah. You, you got to go out there, and you got to go back down to AAA, and then when a spot Internal becomes available, you can eventually have that spot. Or if he beats out Tommy Edmond in spring training, he's your shortstop, and you just, Tommy Edmond, you you get in where you fit in, yeah. and eventually we'll get you your opportunities. Mm-hmm. But he's not available for that. He's going to cost 200 plus million dollars. Yeah. That is not a smart use of the Cardinals' resources. It's just not. You, you've got other things that you need more than that. If you want to go spend two hundred million dollars, like go sign multiple, go, go sign Josh Hader and Blake Snell. Yeah. If you or want to spend Montgomery. that kind of money, go do that. Not going out there and acquiring right. a guy that uh, doesn't. The upgrade from what you currently have to him is not big enough to necessitate a two hundred million dollar difference in salary. Yeah. He's Alex Ferrario. Grant France is back in the studio for us. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, it's the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, yesterday I was looking through and I saw another article similar to what you saw yesterday. The best uh, movie or best TV shows to stream right now, mm-hmm. to binge. 
I saw an article with the best 90s movies for oh. a totally rad night in. Oh. Now, these are just the movies that are on HBO Max, okay. but I wanted to get your thoughts on the best movies in general from the 90s. Their list included, at number one, this was surprising to me, Speed. You know what? I wasn't a, That's Keanu Reeves, right? Uh, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of Speed. I might have to give it another chance, though. Um, yeah, I haven't watched it in like 10 years. Would not so. be my number one choice out of no. all of the 90s films. So we continue from there. Mummy at number two. Is that I, the Brendan Fraser one? Yeah. That should be number one. I know what you did last summer. Yes. Princess Minoke. Not oh, familiar with their work. Uh, Blade, Space Jam, Happy Gilmore, Jerry Maguire, Pulp Fiction, Boogie Nights. Some objectively great movies on that list. Yeah. I think it's missing a lot of the best, though. Absolutely. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you could watch one 90s movie on repeat, what would it be for you, Alex? Oh, God. Um, honestly, Mummy would probably be at really? the top of that list. I love Brendan Fraser in that film. I'm surprised you're not going with, like, Goodfellas, Godfather. Uh, that was going to be my <laughs> next one. Goodfellas was going to. By the way, apparently someone texted in and said Josh Innes said Casino is better than Goodfellas. What the hell? Uh, Goodfellas is obviously there. Tommy Boy would be at the top of that list. Honestly, any of the three Chris Farley trilogy movies, Tommy Boy, Black Sheep, or Beverly Hills Ninja, Rush Hour, probably one of my all-time favorites. They can't favorites. make that movie today. No, they, it's just <laughs> such no a chance good we can damn make that movie. movie today. And then I'm surprised they put Happy Gilmore on there. Great choice. But Billy Madison is by far the best 90s Adam Sandler film of, out of all yeah. of them. So th- it would probably be one of Billy Madison – Rush Hour or Goodfellas. I know it is super cliche, but mine is Shawshank. Like I, I feel yeah, like Shawshank at any given time, if you just start scrolling your channels, it's on somewhere. Yeah. And if there's no sports on, if there's nothing going on at the night, I'm not watching the Great British Baking Show or something with my wife. Like that's probably so the movie going that I'm going to go ahead and uh, <laughs> and end up with. So that that would be my top of the list. But we've got some good ones. God, somebody's uh, Independence Day, absolutely. Oh, dude, a- every Fourth of July you got to watch Armageddon. It. Love me some Armageddon. Um. Jurassic Park, low-key. People don't talk enough about how great that one is. Somebody put Clueless. Clueless. Tombstone. Are you kidding me? I'll be your Huckleberry. (laughs) He's Alex Ferrario. Grand France is back in the studio for us today. I'm Brandon Kiley. Keep those coming in on the text line at 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, it is officially Bragging Rights Day. I'll be down at Enterprise Center early or later on this evening, Alex. Mizzou versus Illinois. Some momentum for the Tigers. What's Gabe DeArmon think about Mizzou's chances tonight and his thoughts on Mizzou football recruiting? We'll talk to Gabe next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Mizzou has all the momentum in their favor, at least on the football side of things. We'll get to the basketball side here in just a little bit, Alex. Oh. But they're taking on Illinois in the bragging rights game later on this evening here in St. Louis. And we go out to the 101 ESPN hotline right now to be joined by my good friend, publisher over at PowerMizzou.com. He is Gabe DeArmond, who's been following all of the news this week for the Tigers. Gabe, we appreciate the time as always, man. You've been covering this team for more than 20 years. Can you put into context for us what we've witnessed on the recruiting trail with Mizzou this year? Um, it, well, it's it's been weird because this was a class that for a long time people were like, I don't get it. 
Uh, it's not as good as the other ones. Uh, we don't have as many guys. It's not as highly rated. And then all of a sudden in the last two weeks, it was just like, oh, hey, it's pretty good. And, oh, by the way, they signed the number three prospect in the entire country uh, back in August. You know, so, um, yeah, it's been uh, it, it's been the momentum has really been impressive the last few weeks. And, uh, and I think especially in the transfer portal, I mean, they've only got five transfers and it's the number 13 transfer class in the country right now, according to our rankings, which, you know, take them or, or leave them to what you want. But uh, with only five guys, uh, that's pretty high. And I imagine they're going to add five to seven more. If, if there was one that you had to pick out, Gabe, out of the ones that we've heard from so far, who's the one that should get Mizzou fans most excited? I mean, it's got to be Caden Green, doesn't it? Uh, you know, a kid who played almost 600 snaps on a power five, on a top 15 power five team on the offensive line, which is, I, I think, other than maybe quarterback, and I'm not even sure quarterback, I think it's the toughest position to play right away because you've got to be, it's not just physically, but uh, physically is the toughest part, obviously. But to be ready to play that position as a true freshman in Power 5 football is pretty incredible. And, you know, he's a local kid um, coming back home, and they now have guys in three straight classes from a school that is producing Power 5 talent every single year. So I think that's got to be the one. And also it's kind of apparently started this, new old rivalry, uh, which, you know, a Missouri team with Luther Burden, Theo Weiss, Caden Green, Williams Winery, and Chris McClellan on it facing Oklahoma. That would be, uh, that'd be an interesting week in which I would uh, retreat from Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> November 9th, my birthday on next year, I, I will absolutely be in Columbia for that game. That's one of those that you, you can't miss out on. And, and Gabe, I, I did want to ask you a little bit about this, like whether it's the transfer portal or getting uh, the top prospect in the state of Missouri, a five-star kid. It all started kind of back a couple of years ago now with Luther Burden. I think there were a lot of Mizzou fans that were skeptical of what this transfer portal era would be, and especially with the NIL money for a place like Mizzou. And instead of being something that is a hindrance for them, they seem to be one of the programs, along with maybe like an old Miss, for example, that's really captured lightning in the bottle with this. How is this happening? Who deserves the credit for putting Mizzou in a place to be able to take advantage of the rules as they're currently written? Uh, rich Missouri fans. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I imagine if they wanted their names out there, they would be out there. Um, but, I should uh, clarify, within it, the athletic department, who deserves the credit okay, uh, for putting okay. that together organizationally? <laughs> yeah, no, also, like Desiree Reed Francois, uh, Eli Drinkwitz, and Dennis Gates all deserve credit because, like, these people have always existed. They've always been Missouri fans. Um, I, I'm not going to say they've always had this this kind of money at their disposal, but uh, some of them certainly have for a while and they've donated, you know, largely I'm sure donated a lot to Missouri before, but I don't think the fan base has ever been galvanized quite like uh, these three have managed to do it. And um, I, I, I said when NIL started that it's not that the money isn't there. I just don't know if it's important enough to Missouri fans to, to participate this way. And they've proven it is. Uh, you know, and and uh, I, I think that that trio has done a really good job, um, you know, getting Missouri fans behind this. 
Gabe, you mentioned Drinkwitz. What's the level of importance finding out that they were able to return both of their coordinators? Yeah, I think it's a pretty big deal. Um, and, you know, I think you have to be a little bit careful because contracts are contracts and we all know what they're worth in, in college football, just automatically assuming they're back. I think Blake Baker for sure is back. Uh, he created tweeted the Wolf of Wall Street gif. It's, it's hard to not come back after that one. Um, and I'm assuming Kirby Moore is too. Don't get me wrong. But it, you guys, you know, I mean, his brother's in the NFL. Weird things happen. Um, but it looks like uh, Missouri's managed to hang on to both of them. And I think it's a big deal because this to me has clearly become, and, and this is the last few weeks have really indicated this, and actually, Missouri just put out a video with Chuck Hicks talking about coming back next year, and, and he just flat out stated it. He said, we had a good year. Now we're trying to have a great year. We're, we're here to make history and, and win everything. You know, that's what this is. This is push all your chips in the middle of the table. Whatever it costs in the transfer portal, whatever it costs in coaching extensions, anything you can do to make that 12-team playoff, maybe host a game, maybe win games. I, I think that's I, I think Missouri fans should completely ignore twenty twenty five and beyond right now. This is all what can you do? And and I'm not saying that this is hamstringing them for the future necessarily, but none of it matters. Like it is all what can you do right now to get in that twelve team playoff and have a shot. Dave DeArmond is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at PowerMizzou.com. Be sure to subscribe. If you are a subscriber, you probably knew about a lot of these transfers uh, and their decisions prior to them actually making it official publicly. Gabe does a great job with that over on the site. Uh, Gabe, I I did want to ask you a little bit of a follow-up on that because I I can't remember coming off of a season like this, this much anticipation for the next year necessarily because they have so much coming back. And you look at it and it's like, it's almost one last ride as well for a lot of these guys because Luther Burden, this is almost surely going to be his last year on campus. You've got one more year with Brady Cook, your starting quarterback, coming back, and you're adding all of this talent. And then you look at the schedule, and it's like, okay, it's being in the SEC about as forgiving as you can get. Is the expectation going into next year, oh, and by the way, the 12-team playoff as well, which is good timing for them, is the expectation college football playoff or bust in your mind? I hesitate to say the expectation. Um, the goal, clearly, I think, is 12-team playoff. I don't know. There are, to me, only, I don't know, five, six schools that the expectation is a 12-team playoff. If you don't make it at Ohio State, at Georgia, at Alabama, um, I, I don't know, maybe at Texas and Michigan, you know, if you don't make it there, yeah, bad season. Um, but but I don't think you can say that at Missouri. But you've got schools, Missouri, Ole Miss, I'm sure Washington will be one. You know that now, okay, this is this is the goal. Um, and, and it's a reasonable, it's a realistic goal. If Missouri finishes in the portal the way I think it will, um, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that it's a top 10 team to start next season. Okay, Gabe. Over to the basketball side, because we spent an awful lot of time here on our show trying to figure out who the hell the Blues are. I've only seen a couple of the the Mizzou basketball games because they play at the same time the Blues do, but who the hell is this basketball team for Mizzou? Um, I want to say I don't know, but the (laughs) truth is I hope I don't know, because if I do know, it's not great. Um, You know, I, I wrote after the Seton Hall game, I said that they're 
biggest strength was that they never quit. They're tough. They're never out of a game. Their biggest problem is that they keep putting themselves in positions to have to prove that. You know, I mean, you just look, and it's not just down 19 to Seton Hall, down 18 to Kansas, down 20 to Minnesota. They had a 31-9 lead on Loyola, and it was a five-point game at halftime. They got outscored in a half by South Carolina State. So I'm not looking at playing 40 minutes. Get to 20 and go from there because they really haven't done that. What they've done is put themselves in desperation mode and played like seven. And once it was good enough and the rest of the time it really wasn't. So uh, right now, to me, they're a team that that is missing options two and three offensively. Um, They're just not there. Sean East has been steady. Tamar Bates has had a couple games. Nick Honors had a couple, but they don't consider, you know, last year you knew Kobe was, was the guy, but you knew Des Moines, Golston, Carter, maybe even Honor, maybe sometimes East, you knew a couple of those guys were showing up. I mean, they were putting three and four guys in double figures all the time. And now outside of Sean East, I don't know if you can tell me somebody you reliably believe is scoring 10 points for this team. Yeah, and that's the problem. Like, on any given night, any of them could, but you just never know who it's going to be. And there are some nights where it takes too long to figure out who that guy is going to be, and that gets the drought. And as you mentioned, that's been a consistent problem for them this year. Uh, Gabe, big night tonight in St. Louis with the Bragg and Rights game. Uh, you've covered a ton of these. Where's this one rank in terms of like the, the regular games that Mizzou has played over the years, whether it's football, basketball? Is this one of your favorite events that you cover on a regular basis? Absolutely. It, it always was uh, my favorite one, my favorite thing of the year because for multiple reasons, but it was the only one you went to that it's like truly 50-50. And, you know, and, and I grew up on this game and, I mean, really mattering like really being one of the better non-conference series in the country. Now, I don't feel like it's been that for, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, because either one of them wasn't very good or neither of them were very good. And now with with college football and how big it's become and just dominating every month of the year, but especially now December, mm-hmm. it just kind of sneaks up on you and it doesn't get the attention that it used to get. Um, you know, last year I, I thought was obviously really fun and it's always a great, game once you get there and now that the fans are showing back up I don't really know what's expected tonight um as far as if, if they've sold it out or come close be interested to see when I get in there um but yeah it's a it's a really fun event to go to usually and uh just because it is one of those hey you never know like I, I've, I've said a number of times the worst team seems to usually win this game so Missouri fans are looking for something hey this should be your year kind of like last year was I mean Illinois is a six and a half point favorite but uh it, it seems like the better team always gets beat in this game Gabe, we'll get you out of here on this. Do you have a favorite bragging rights moment? I mean, the the one that I love, I wasn't there, but I was a senior in high school, was the, the triple overtime game. That you know, I mean, that was a bad Missouri team to that point. Lost by 52 at Arkansas and should have lost a couple of home games to like that would have rivaled the Jackson State game this year, honestly. They had not played well. And down nine with a minute left. I remember I'd gotten a phone call from a friend. I said, yeah, I'll call you back when this game's over. It's like a minute and a half left. And uh, 45 minutes later, I hadn't called back because, uh, <laughs> you know, Steve Garris had missed two free throws and, uh, and, and a bunch of guys that Derek Grimm and Jason Sutherland that would go on to be pretty well known in Missouri history were just freshmen that, that won that game. I mean, that's the one, um, you know, on, on the bad side, we all remember the popcorn game, I think. Uh, but, uh, but last year was, Last year was up there. I mean, that was 
I, I did not expect Missouri to win that game. And that might have been the best game I've ever seen Missouri play. Uh, I, I mean, they were phenomenal in that basketball game. And I, I don't know that they reached that level again the rest of the year. <laughs> like, that was just – everything came together. And that was obviously a really good basketball team for Mizzou. But it, that was a – I mean, it was beautiful basketball uh, on that night. Hey, Gabe, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Uh, enjoy yourself out there tonight for bragging rights. And we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Sounds good, Jess. Appreciate it. You got it. That's Gabe DeArmond, a good friend of mine, publisher over at PowerMizzou.com. You should read his work there. Be a subscriber if you haven't already. It's, I mean, basically a, buy yourself a cup of coffee over at Starbucks or get yourself a subscription over at uh, PowerMizzou. It is legitimately well worth your time and your money if you are a big-time Mizzou fan. Uh, this series always seems to go in streaks like, at least in my lifetime, Alex, like growing up, I was in early 2000s. That's like my, my beginning of watching Mizzou basketball. Yeah. It was always Illinois. It was always Illinois that won early on. And then it flipped. And in the mid-2010s when I was in high school, it was Mizzou that was winning the games. And then the Kim Anderson era took place. And then it was Illinois that God. was winning those games. And so, like... Missouri's been in a pretty good stretch recently in the bragging rights game out of the last five games that they've played Missouri has won four of them I think Illinois in a lot of those seasons to Gabe's point has been the better basketball team so it's why going into this one like if you just ask me who's better this year Illinois or Mizzou Illinois it's not close Illinois is a better basketball team right now than Missouri is who's going to win this game tonight I have no idea (laughs) I have no idea because this game is always funky and it's the old like rivalry thing where I throw out the records when these two teams meet it's actually true in this series over the years so I'm looking forward to it I'll be out there Uh, if you're looking for tickets by the way they're not crazy expensive right now Um, but this is always a fun game to go to and I I think I've been to three or four of them anytime you have a chance to get out there it's it's worth your time yeah I think I've been to uh, four or five of them a lot of them was covering them for KMOX at the time but I think it was I don't remember what year it was, but it was Susumo and um, Coburn on the Illinois yep. side, and I think that was the Porter era, too, with uh, the Missouri Tigers, and that one was about as thrilling as you can ask for, so it's always a fun time, and it's cool when they show, like, the uh, St. Louis celebrities that are in the house rooting on both sides. Mizzou versus Illinois, the bragging rights game is tonight. That's at 8 o'clock. He's Alex Ferrario. Grant France is back in the studio for us. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of our conversation with Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Coming up next, Pavel Buchnevich had exactly the kind of response that we were looking for last night. And Robert Thomas is suddenly performing like one of the best players in the NHL at even strength. We'll get into that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bobby, Jordan, again, you know, they were our best players again here tonight. And to win this league, you have to have your best players being your best players. And I'll bet what I thought overall as a crew, like everybody came, uh, they were ready to compete. And we did things, you know, in our game that we didn't see two nights ago. That was Drew Bannister last night responding to his top line and the performance that they had, Alex, against the Florida Panthers. That line was fantastic. Now, we said it at the beginning of the show today. I'm not sure the Blues played a great game. 
I thought they played pretty well. They played better, but I think they were pretty fortunate to end with the result that they got. But that top line, they are the one that I will single out and say, man, they had a great game. They ended the night with eight points combined, eight shots on goal, and a plus-minus of plus eight between the three of them. Booch, two goals and assists. Cairo, a goal and assist. And Thomas had three assists on the night. That was needed because Pavel Buchnevich in the game prior had been benched for the final 12 minutes of the third period. Pavel Buchnevich responded on the ice, and then afterwards he responded and holded himself accountable, or held himself, excuse me, accountable to the media as well. Here was his answer when asked about being benched and responding the way that he did last night. Love this from Pavel Buchnevich. I deserve to be benched last game, and, uh, you know, I'm not at one years old to, like, thinking too much about uh, past games and uh, you know we got result what we want and you know bounce back and you know be ready for Chicago game just a side note for when when people push back when we say oh well that guy's young he's not young he's 25 years old he's been in the league for five years that's what we mean by being young and being a veteran Buchnevich just gave you a veteran answer by saying I'm not 20 years anymore worried about what happened in the last game. I deserved to be bench. I was bad, and I went out there, and I showed why I'm not that type of player. Hashtag accountability. That's what we need to start talking about now because that attitude needs to resonate amongst every other player in that locker room that if I have a bad game, I'm not 20 years old. I don't have to sit here and pout about the coach pulling me off of a line for a shift or me not looking good out there. No. It was a bad game by me. I'm not that player. I deserve to be out there, and I'm going to show you why. He did exactly the opposite of what Tyler O'Neill did for the Cardinals this year, by the way. Tyler O'Neill was called out publicly the same way that Pavel Buchnevich was. Tyler O'Neill was essentially benched the same way that Pavel Buchnevich was. And Tyler O'Neill went back and said, I wish that was handled internally. And then we saw what the relationship was like the rest of the year. It never really was repaired from that. And let's be honest, it was never on a great place even when that happened. Otherwise, that public calling out of Tyler O'Neill never takes place. Buchnevich in that game deserved to be called out. He played poorly, man. He was not a good player for you. Took three penalties for the first time in his NHL career, was benched, should have been benched, and then responded the next game and then said exactly what you say if you're a veteran that is one of the leaders on the team, whether it's vocally or just by your performance. That's the kind of guy that you've got to have during this kind of a retool that performs the way that he does. And it's why, frankly, if they decided that they were going to move on now, later in the season, in the offseason, whatever, they don't want to give him the long-term extension, it's why you're going to get so much for him if they decide to make that kind of a bold move. Alex, you talked about this before the show today. Uh, You were thinking about, hey, if the Blues decided to make such a move, what what would it look like? What could they get in response or in return for him? What is the trade that you looked at that kind of came to mind for you? It's Timo Meyer that was traded to the Devils last season, and we talked a lot about it because we thought Timo Meyer might get traded to the Blues last season, and he didn't. He was traded to the New Jersey Devils, but he was a guy who was going to be a pending restricted free agent, and everybody would have gone after, and he's a guy that they viewed as somebody who's a 30-goal scorer, Pavel Buchnevich, and this guy isn't as good defensively as Pavel Buchnevich is, and in return, they got a couple of other players that were fringe, but the, the real reward in that were the two first-round draft picks, but it was also a young defenseman, Shakir Muka Madulin. 
and it was a first-round pick, a six-foot-four defenseman that they view as a top-pair defenseman for the future of the San Jose Sharks. If you go down that path, and I don't know if it's the right decision, the wrong decision, because who knows what Doug Armstrong views as what you want to be a part of this roster. But that's the type of re- return we're talking about. They got three players on top of uh, Muka Madulin, and they got two first-round draft picks, and that's for a 27-year-old forward that they were able to lock up in New Jersey. So you'd be talking about a guy who's got one more year of control, and that's where a team can get to the point that says, yeah, you're going to have to pay a hefty price for it. So, like I said, do the Blues want Pavel Buchnevich and figure they can get him signed for a decent contract and decide to ship another player out? Or do they say, you know what, to expedite this retool that we're hoping for, Man, if we got to pull the trigger on something like this, it's going to sting because Pavel Buchnevich is going to be 30 and he might go somewhere. But Pavel Buchnevich also could bring us in a lot of pieces that could be playing at the NHL in the next couple of seasons. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, why would the Blues trade Buchnevich when they clearly need another top six guy now and the prospects are still two to three years away? I'm not sure that they will. But the reason why you would, if you decided to go the path that we're discussing here, Alex, is because he's going to be 29 years old. You're likely going to have to give him, based on his performance, I mean, he's earned this, eight-year contract, probably worth eight-plus million dollars on a per-year basis. That's just my guess on what he's going to command on the open market. Probably a no-trade clause. And if that's what he's going to earn, earn, not get, but earn, then you got to make the decision of, is it worth it for us? Is that the right move for us, both in the short and the long term? I, I don't know the answer to this. This is the toughest one that I've seen so far for the Blues. Like, I didn't think it was all that hard for them with Ryan O'Reilly. I thought it was the right move. I thought it was the clear move to go ahead and let him walk in free agency. Now, it was a hard, it, it's tough because he's the guy that, that won the cup for you, but it's it's. I, I thought it was the right move. Yeah. Petro, I thought the easy move was bringing him back. Perron, I thought the easy move was bringing him back. This one's hard. I I don't know on Pavel Buchnevich what you do, given where you're at as an organization. Because if you are still three years away from true contention, Alex, you're talking about a guy that's going to be in his early 30s. He's going to be making $8 million a year. He's going to have a no-trade clause. And where's he fit with your team at that point in time? Hopefully he's still a top-line player. You just don't know. You don't know how he's going to age. So, um if you decide to go that path and you think, okay, getting the assets in return from Booch, it's worth more than having Booch around, I, I could listen to the argument as to how that ends up being the case, but man, is he a good player. And if you can keep him around, that, that would be my preference, obviously. I think it comes down to a real conversation that Doug Armstrong has to have of what this team looks like, and that's why he did what he did. And yeah, I don't like it. Nobody still likes it about the Peruby thing, but you move on because you've got to figure out what this roster is. If you think you actually can compete within the next two years – then you got to keep Booch because he's a piece that helps you win a Stanley Cup. But if you still feel like you're three years away before even kind of getting into that competitive level, I think you have to look at moving him. And I I hate to say it because, look, that's a tough player to lose, especially a 200-foot forward. But if you're still this three years away and still really trying to figure out what this roster looks like, you're better off bringing in as many assets as possible for somebody that you're not sure how he's going to look in three to five years when you want to compete and having all of those assets 
to try and say, look, these guys are going to be a part of this roster or these guys are going to bring me in something that makes me a competitive team in those three-year window. The hard part is I think Booth should be a part of this solution, but it's not working and it hasn't been working for the last couple of years, so how else do you change it? Somebody else on the text line said, guys, if you end up doing this, it's an admission that you are going into a full rebuild. I think that's true, and if they do it, what they would be doing is just finally saying out loud what I think they're already doing, which is saying, yeah, we're in a rebuild. Yeah, We talked about this a little bit earlier today. I, I, without saying it out loud, I think that's where we're at. It's not, it's not a tank. I think there are different levels of what it looks like when you're in a rebuilding process. And so whatever you want to label it as, the, the thing that people are talking about here probably is, then you're tanking. And I don't view it that way either. Tanking teams don't have Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Jordan Bennington. Yeah. They don't. Tanking teams completely tear it down to the studs and start over. This team is incapable of tanking because of all of the big-time contracts that they've already handed out that have no trade clauses. Like you, you literally cannot tear this down to the studs, even if they wanted to. You could never get to where San Jose or Arizona got to. What you can do is kind of similar to the Kings, which is have some veteran presence still around, but the guys that are getting to the end of their current deals, you let them walk in free agency to be able to start over at those spots in your lineup. The guys that you have... Um, that have real value, maybe a Brandon Saad, maybe a Pavel Buchnevich, that are able to be traded, you decide to move them out for assets similar to what the Cardinals did this year at the trade deadline. And then you start anew. And in the next couple of years, yeah, it's probably going to be some hard times, but you get to the end of it and you get those assets they were able to acquire in return for Buch, Saad, etc. And now you've got a team that you can really start winning with. Here's the hard part. When somebody says, well, that just showcases that you're in a full-blown rebuild, the Nashville Predators general manager this offseason said our team is going to in a, into a rebuild. They're sitting in fourth place right now in the Central Division yep. fighting for a top-three spot. The New York Rangers sent out a letter in 2018 to their fan base saying, we are headed for a rebuild. That was the second year, the first year that they missed the playoffs. They missed it the next year. Then they got in, missed again, and then they went to the conference final. So, like, you can say we're going into a rebuild. This isn't baseball when teams go into a rebuild and you're waiting 10 years to get out of it. Hockey is such a quick turnaround that a couple of offseason moves, a couple of trades, and a couple of drafted players that you strike hot on, you're out of a rebuild in two years. If you go into a rebuild as a hockey team, you're rebuilding the culture. You've got to figure out how to reinstate a competitive mindset of the players you have in that locker room. Nashville did it in basically an offseason. The Rangers did it in two years. The Blues could turn a rebuild in a lot of people's minds into still this three-year window. It's just a matter of getting the right pieces to get out of this rebuild. He's Alex. Grant Francis is back in the studio for us today. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex and I are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. By the way, Robert Thomas, want to shout him out. We mentioned how good the top line was last night. Man, Robert Thomas has been pretty damn good for like the last six weeks of the regular season. He had three assists last night, all at even strength. He now has 12 goals and 16 assists at even strength this season. For context, he had 13 goals and 13 30 assists at even strength all of last year. The only players in the NHL that have more even strength points this season than Robert Thomas, Nathan McKinnon, 
and Nikita Kucherov. He's third in the league in even strength points so far this year. Now, I'd like to see him improve a little bit at power play points. No, but no, 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 no. Baby steps at even strength. Hot damn, has he been good for a team <laughs> that I, is struggling I think this I'd year. like to see everybody on this roster improve on power play yeah, points. for sure. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to our NFL weekend look ahead. But next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. Grant, you can go ahead and get in on these. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go. You give us four different options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. I've got a feeling, Alex, this is going to be Tonight's a good Christmas oh. edition as we head into the holiday well, season. Crazy. We are off, by the way, on Monday. Woohoo! We've got a best of for you. T-Bone put that together yesterday before we headed uh, over to only Illinois, the home Back of the White Meemaw. Squirrels. So uh, we've got a best of on Monday. We'll be back in, though, on Tuesday. Alex, me, I think Grant, maybe, Bradford. Yeah, we got Grant on Tuesday, and then Bradford I think they're, like, Wednesday. flipping days. Yeah. Grant, Bradford, it'll be a fun I, time. I, I don't know. I'll be here if you need me, though. <laughs> there we go. works every day like I do. All right, let's get to One's Gotta Go. One's Gotta Go Holiday Chocolate Edition. Chocolate fudge, peanut clusters, chocolate pie, or chocolate chip cookies. Oh, Alex, this which one's gotta go? Chocolate pie. I could do my own chocolate, but that is way too much damn chocolate at one time. I don't think chocolate pie should be a thing. I'm with you, man. I don't other, like chocolate pie either. Plenty of other chocolates. Like you just, if you're gonna go pie, go go the good pie. Go the apple pie, the pumpkin pie, uh, the the pecan pie. Although Are you pecan nasty. or pecan? Pecan. I like pecan. to sound fancy when I talk. Yeah, Definitely I like pecan. Sound, I like to sound fancy when I talk. By the way, I'm getting rid of the peanut clusters. I'm not a big nut guy, so I'll I'll just take everything else there. Oh really? Oh, you're not a big nut guy. Yeah, yeah, no, not not really into the nuts. Hmm. Okay. You crazy man? I love me some peanuts. Hey, to each their own. Big peanut guy. Uh, big nut guy. I would go with chocolate pie as well. I've never really understood the fascination with it. It's, it to me it doesn't it looks, do anything for to me, me. It's like chocolate pudding with crust. And That's like pretty much what it is. They don't need that. Uh three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line. One's gotta go. Spreads edition. Peanut butter, Nutella, cream cheese, or jelly. Alex, I'll go first. People are gonna get mad at me. I don't like Nutella. No. I hate that I'm agreeing with you. Uh, what is Nutella? I don't think I've ever tried it. Isn't it like just chocolate? Kind of. It's like a chocolate cream, right? It's hazelnut yeah. cocoa spread. Ew! And I know that's like an Italian thing, but disgusting. Yeah, I, I, I have never enjoyed it. My sister loved it growing up, so she would get it and she'd put it on stuff. I, I have never enjoyed uh, Nutella. It's just not something for me. So that would be the one that I would get rid of. Grant, which one are you going with? Yeah, I'm a nut guy. I think Nutella is fine. It's not great, but I don't really like jelly. I've never been a peanut oh. butter and jelly what? guy. No. No, jelly's really? not really been for me, so I'll get rid of that. So what was your go-to, like, kid 
meal. So instead of peanut butter and jelly, I would Chicken? always make peanut butter and honey. And honey? Yeah. Yeah. Did you put bananas on there? No, not a big banana guy. We, we've talked peanut about butter, this. Banana, we've got into honey, this. Good. I've heard Alex Gross. slander runts, the banana runts. Amazing. Uh, yeah. No, Grant. Sorry. Disgusting. Grant, right. that I brought is- up bananas. That's what I thought of. Grant, that Buddy. is the nastiest candy ever created by individuals. I saw somebody post a picture of the uh, the nerds the other day, and all I could think about was was Grant. Not because he's a nerd, but because he wow. enjoys those kinds of hard candies. Yeah, no, no, but I don't like nerds per se, but I do you like, like the those fruit flavored hard candy. They're disgusting. They I'm, should be called grunts. I'm not even really that much of a candy person unless it's chocolate. It's just those banana runts. That's, That's disgusting. It. It's just a banana-flavored candy by Grant. Ew. Uh, 314-399-9646. One's got to go. Christmas tree, Christmas lights, presents, or Christmas cookies. Oh, Christmas lights have to go. I can live without Christmas lights. I couldn't do an entire Christmas without a tree. The gifts, I mean, look, the gifts are important, especially now with a two- and a one-year-old, and I, I have to have my Christmas cookies. Do you go to, like, Grant's Farm, the brewery, uh, the zoo, yeah. botanical garden. Do you do all of that for the Christmas so, lights, though? Because if you get rid of it, all of that's gone, man. You yeah. can't have any of it anymore. So we do. So our tradition is we always go to Jellystone on like one of the nights prior to Christmas Eve. So we're probably going to go later tonight. Um, and we always do the Tillis Park drive through. Oh, sure. I used to take Katie on carriage rides. So you don't do any of the stuff where you're like actually going through We did walking. the zoo this year, ah. but... We only did it because the girls liked it. Like, we wouldn't go do it, but, I, I mean, I like them, but I could Botanical see. Gardens is a good one. If you haven't gone, I would that recommend it. It's just always so crowded. And hey, that is when true. it's freezing, yeah, you're waiting forever to get in. The problem with that is I know I lose my Christmas lights, but, again, I could survive without those. I'm not sure I could survive with any of the other three. And that is a fat person thing to say with cookies because I love me some some Christmas cookies. Grant, which one do you get rid of? The tree, the lights, the presents, or the cookies? I'll get rid of the lights, but question for you guys. How many Christmas trees do you guys put up? In our house? Yes. One, man. I. What do you think? I live in a mansion? We, no, no. We make okay. a radio sound. So, <laughs> well, he, can't, he can't put a tree in one spot of his house because he's got a Peloton bike. Exactly. That's true. Um, my family likes to put up two Christmas trees, and then yeah, they one complain. One downstairs? No, they're both upstairs, but then they complain about how much work it is. And I'm Grant's always the one that says house. only putting one up. Grant, but Grant, Grant, how the hell do you have two Christmas trees upstairs? Listen, ask my family, not me. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm mean, not, I'm I mean, not a fan have- of it. We have two. Uh, we used to have one, and then somebody just gave us their Christmas tree because they were retired and didn't want it anymore. Uh, but like, so we have one upstairs and downstairs. But the one upstairs is basically covered by a kid gate, so sure. that nobody can touch it. The downstairs one is the one that's got the presents. But yeah, we got two of them. I like it because I get to have the Christmas tree lights and upstairs and downstairs. Do I have to use the, lose the lights on the Christmas tree if I use the, lose yeah, the lights? Yeah, man, if you've got no lights, you can't light up the Christmas tree. I I'm going with Christmas cookies. I feel like the Christmas cookies got to go, man. Well, sorry, somebody likes to exercise. No, it's not about that. Like, the Christmas spirit is a part of the tree, the lights, and the presents. Like, there's Christmas. I can have just, like, chocolates and still maintain my Christmas spirit. If I get rid of the lights, the trees, or the presents, the heart of Christmas is no longer there. All right. So, All right, easy easy over there santa claus coming up next we'll finish this thing up with our nfl weekend look ahead here on bk and ferrario we're right back to the 
PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. Let's dive into some NFL weekend look ahead. Alex, it's an interesting week in the NFL because we've got games tomorrow and Sunday and Monday, and not in the typical way. We've got a doubleheader tomorrow. We've got our typical games on Sunday, and then on Monday, we got a triple header, baby. hey The NFL said, NBA, cool. You guys get the uh, the Christmas day typically. Nuh-uh, not yeah. this year, ladies and gentlemen. Now this year, we've got Raiders, Chiefs, Giants, Eagles, and Ravens, 49ers. People are going to be locked in on the NFL on Monday. Sorry, NBA. Nobody's going to be watching your games Monday. All right. So normally the way that we do this is the Sunday slate because that is what we're going to be having an opportunity to watch prior to coming back in on Monday. This week is different. So, Alex, I will say this. If you could sit in front of your television for any three-hour stretch, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, you can only watch one game, what is the game that you're going to be monitoring this weekend? It's going to be Sunday, or Monday night football, baby. It's going to be Niners and Ravens because that game, to me, I get to find out who the actual Super Bowl contender is and who's the fraud. And for me, I'm going Cowboys-Dolphins. I want to find out what these teams actually are. When they go up against the legitimate threats in either conference, most of the time they've shrunk. What does it look like when they go up against one another? It sounds like Tyreek Hill is going to be playing in this game, which is great. I want to see the Dolphins at closer to full strength. Do the Cowboys have it in them to go on the road where they've struggled for most of this season and get a win in Miami? If they do, the AFC East is suddenly up for grabs for the Buffalo Bills as well, so it has massive implications in that regard. Cowboys-Dolphins, Sunday 325. That's the game I've got uh, circled for me. Alex, if you had to pull off one upset going into the weekend, a three-point underdog or bigger, who are you going with that you expect to win outright? I don't know what the line is right now sure. of the Buccaneers-Jaguars game. Are the Bucks uh, the underdog? The Bucks are the favorite in wow. that one by two and a half. So I'll... Stay There's a question from- about if Trevor Lawrence is going to even okay, start so in that game, so I think that's why. I-, I guess if I had to pick one, it... it- it might be the Cardinals hmm. because as much as I don't believe in that team and they're bad, like I also have seen the Chicago Bears look great at times and look awful at other times. They'd be one of them. I'd also put the um, I'd also put the Raiders into the conversation. The Titans over suck. the Seahawks would be one that I would throw into this. Is that three points? A three and a half wow. points in favor of the Seahawks. I think the Titans can win that game. It's at home. The Seahawks just had a highly emotional game on Monday Night Football. I think that the Titans could end up winning that one. I take the Titans as my straight-up upset that pick. Against me there. Alex, before we get out of here, the fast lane's coming up next. The team that you want to see with the most to gain this weekend is? I think it's the Bills. Keep it rolling, baby. For me, it's the Ravens. If they beat the 49ers, hot damn. Okay, I'll take you seriously now because I think the 49ers are the best team in the league. He's Alex. I'm BK. Grant has done a fantastic job for us in the studio today. Can't wait to talk to you guys on Tuesday. Have yourself a very Merry Christmas. Be safe out there. You guys have a great week in the fast lane coming up next year on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.